0: Good to be in an Another shiur. we're up to uh, number 81 in the uh, series. Uh, Bo Hashem, the, uh, we're a little over a year into this series, and uh, we're about uh, thir- two thirds of the way there. Two thirds, we still got another uh, two sections of the Mishnah. We're at the end of uh, the fourth section, the fourth chapter of uh, Peke Alvod, and uh, Baruch Hashem, I think each each year has been relatively different than the next. So Baruch Hashem, this one will be a little different, even though the Mishnah of this week is very very similar to the one from last week, very similar, but there's a few uh, different insights about uh, about the information. A little update, just uh, current affairs. Obviously, anyone that uh, realizes right now, we um, have a war pending. Korea shot shot some more missiles. Trials, you know, this is trying to infuriate the world even more. Uh, The situation in uh, Saudi Arabia continues to deteriorate. The guy that took control um, is... uh, Said that he's torturing the people into submitting all of their money, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, so, and, and some of these people are very famous. Aside from being billionaires, also one of them, the one I mentioned to you, Prince Awaleed, he's uh, he's a very famous investor. So, uh, from what uh, the news reported is that he's torturing him. He's torturing him for all different types of uh, crimes that he claims that he did. The point being is that this is uh, being used as a uh, uh, vehicle or as somewhat of a uh, step that's going to lead the world into the next war, uh, because uh, now Saudi Arabia is trying to negotiate with the world, with Israel included, to go to war with their enemies, you know, mainly Iran uh, and others, and. Um, One of the things that uh, is going to happen at the end of times, according to the prophets, is that the world, you know, initially, the uh, Ishmael is going to fight against Esau, initially. And there's going to be an extraordinary amount of death and uh, disaster and so on and so forth, putting every war before it to shame, including World War II. But then, according to the prophets they're all going to stop the war and then turn, you know, combine efforts and turn all of their power, Hashem on Am Yisrael. So, how much time we have, whether it's uh, a month, six months, six years, no one knows. No one knows. Everyone that says they know, doesn't know. Uh, you know and doesn't even know the halacha about predicting it either. You're not allowed to predict a specific time when it comes to uh, when the Mashiach is going to come and all of these things. But we do know it's not that much time. That's one thing that everyone can agree on. We do know there's not that much time. We do know that the, uh, really, the, the sages and the prophets and Shemit Barach, uh, obviously the order should be Shemit Barach, then the prophets, then the sages, um, have all said the same thing. And it even goes, the same is repeated by the Rambam. The same is repeated by sages of this day and every other day. There's only one thing that's going to save us at the end of times. Only one thing. And that's Torah and Gemilut Hasadim. That's the the main thing. There's two things, really. The two things that are going to save a person is not going to be living in Israel or living in America or living in in some uh, cave or having a lot of guns or having a lot of money or knowing a lot of people. None of that stuff is going to help. None of it. None of it is going to help. Anyone that wants to move to Israel, the Chavot, go enjoy living in Israel, no problem. Anyone that wants to live in America, live in America. Wherever you're going to be closer to Hashem. The key is to know that where you live has nothing to do with where you're going to spend eternity. Where you live has nothing to do with where you spend eternity. Where you spend eternity is dependent on your ma'asim. What are you going to do while you're alive here? Are you going to follow the Torah or not? Are you going to follow what Torah said about what's going to happen at the end of times and how to prepare for it? you Are going to do chuvah fully without uh, the bluff, without creating new rules for yourself because some things are not convenient? So that's, that's, that's really the big thing. But the main things that I see today is that most people don't really want the Mashiach to come. They say they want the Mashiach to come. Most people say Mashiach, they want the Mashiach to come. When is the Mashiach going to come? Somebody sent me a text yesterday, and he said, uh, you guys, meaning he was referring to me and a few other uh, speakers that speak about the Mashiach, like Rav Mizrahi and Rav Zitron, uh, Rabbi Eloha Nava, and a few other speakers that uh, speak about the Mashiach regularly, and he says, you guys should stop making lectures about the Mashiach. You know, you get everybody all worked up, and he's not here yet. When is he coming? Like, as if I have his phone number. Like, it's my fault. Like, I did it. People look for excuses to to complain against someone. But the funny thing is, is what a person with such a mentality doesn't realize, is that that type of mentality, that type of mentality, is not going to help you at all if the Mashiach actually did arrive today. That type of mentality of being upset because the Mashiach hasn't arrived yet, instead of being busy doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's not going to help you. Now, for whatever reason or another, the Gemara testifies to this, that Hashem decided to create a nature, create us uh, a nature within each one of us. Well, we all think we're right, by default. No one wakes up in the morning thinking that they're wrong. No one says, ah, I can't, be, I can't wait to be wrong today. Everyone thinks that they're right. Everyone thinks that their opinion is the best. Everyone thinks that their taste is the best. Everyone thinks that their food is the best. Even the husband thinks that he can cook better than the wife. Everyone thinks they're the best, by default. Everyone thinks that they're wonderful. And uh, generally, if someone does not view themselves as right, as smart and really smarter than what they really are and more right than what they really are and more knowledgeable knowledgeable than what they really are, then usually there's a medical condition associated with it. Usually there's something wrong with it. Usually they're manic depressant or something like that. But by by default, most of us think that, you know, we have to be right and we're the best. So, when a person looks himself in a mirror, the Gemara says that he doesn't see anything wrong. He doesn't see his own faults, his own flaws. He doesn't see that if the Mashiach actually came, it wouldn't be good for him because he hasn't finished his tshuva. Most people think that just because they keep a little Shabbat, they eat kosher, and uh, you know they do a few a few other mitzvot, they're finished. They're okay. They're ready. Interestingly, the tanaim, the tanaim that spent their days, nights, and everything in between trying to sanctify Hashem's name, were worried about Mashiach. They were worried if the Mashiach showed up, would they be saved? These are Tanaim; these are people that were so holy they were able to revive the dead. They were worried: what if Mashiach shows up? Am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready to to, to pay the bill? All the sins that I made. These are Tanaim; they were in comfort. David Melech, David Melech, Kodesh was scared to death, scared to death of getting judged by Hashem. He says, "What did I? I did so much wrong, Hashem." He says, "In teilim, I did so much wrong, Hashem." Eh, well, what could I do? Please don't judge me for what I did. Be fair, you know. I know if you judge me for everything I did, there's no way I'm going to survive. If you judge me for every David Melech, all of our prayers based on David Melech, teilim, David Melech, uh, Mashiach, David Melech. I mean, it's, he's the fourth pillar to the Merkava, Shechina of Hashem rests on Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and David Melech. And he says, Hashem, don't judge me for everything I did, all the sins I did. David HaMilch is worried about sins. Us, no, no, I keep Shabbat, everything's okay. Everything's okay. I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, sometimes, you know, I do this, I do that. You know, everybody counts their mitzvot on one hand. Moshe Rabbeinu made one sin, which really, for us, is a mitzvah. It's not even a sin. It's a mitzvah. He made one mistake. can't even call it a sin. If it wasn't written in the you wouldn't be allowed to say it. He made one mistake. Mistake. He prayed about that one mistake. It's not really a sin. But in his level, it was considered mistake. 515 times. 515 times for one mistake. One mistake he made his entire life. 120 years. He made one mistake. One mistake. One mistake. We make one mistake every second. He made one mistake 120 years. He prayed 515 times. We make 515 mistakes and we barely pray once. But we expect Hashem to send us the Mashiach, 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 and I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not tshuva. Everything I'm doing now is okay. My kippah is extra big. My suit is extra black. My payas are getting longer and longer. My beard is growing stronger. I got books in front of me all the time. Even if if I don't read them, it still looks good. My dress got a little longer. My wig also got a little longer sometimes. Everybody's certain that if Mashiach showed up, Rabotai, we're finished. We're ready. We're ready. We can't wait to see Mashiach. Can't wait. Unfortunately, the truth is quite different. Means that the Goel is going to save only those that did Tshuva. Now, what do you think that David HaMelech in his Te'ilim, that we read in our prayers every day? What do you think? He was talking about all the secular people? He was talking about us, he was talking about people that already started doing shuvah he's talking about people that were from from birth. He's not talking about the atheists. He's not talking about the, the, uh, the people that are worshipping idols. He's talking about the people that already keep Shabbat. He's talking about the people that already keep all the mitzvot, all of them. He says, I'm going to save them, those, those people, after they stop being pushayim. after they stop being criminals. What do you mean? I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, I keep this, I keep this, I keep this. I have a list of things I keep. He says, yeah, when you stop being a poshia, stop being a criminal, then El Shemashiach is going to save you. What do you mean? I keep, I keep, I keep. No, oh, my friend. Not enough. Why? The main thing that a person needs to understand is that in order for him to really fulfill the will of Hashem, he has to work on his midot. He has to work on his character traits. Without character traits, any Torah that you learn, all the mitzvot that you do, all the things that you think that you're doing is good, will always have a dust of sin tied to them. And that's the main thing the Yaakov Avinu was scared of. And last week's parasha Yaakov Avinu cried to Hashem, saying, Hashem, save me. What saved me? You haven't gone anywhere yet. What saved me? Because if Hashem's going to be with me, then I'll make this place, I'll bring a koban, this place will be holy, and so on and so forth. But you didn't go anywhere. What are you so scared of, Yaakov? I'm going to Levan's house. Go to Levan's house. Okay, so go to Levan's house. You don't like it, go somewhere else. What's the problem? Go into Lavan's house. It's going to be a long journey. A lot of Rashaim. Headquarters of the head Rasha in the world, Lavan. That's where I'm being sent. I can't go any other way, any other place. I have to stay there until I get notice from my parents. Okay, so what's the problem? Go to Lavan's house. If he's such a bad guy, don't listen to him. Why, well, he worship idols. You're going to be worshiping idols. He drives on Shabbat. You're going to start driving on Shabbat. His wife wears a, a mini skirt and a uh, you know and a uh, a wig. You're gonna be a, your wife's gonna do the same thing. What's the problem? You, if he's a sinner, fine. Let him be a sinner. Maybe you can help him do chuba What's the problem, Yaakov? Why are you so worried? Why are you asking for a special blessing? Why are you saying if a God's gonna be with me? Why? He says, Yeah, of course. Ya- Yaakov is not gonna be a rasha. Of course, Yaakov is not gonna go against the will of Hashem. But Yaakov is telling us. That being around a certain person, being around certain wicked people, unless you're strengthening them, they are weakening you. You cannot stay the same without doing anything about it. Either you're strengthening them, and through that you're getting stronger yourself, or they're weakening you, and you're falling into the garbage with them. Kiruv is not a mitzvah. It's an obligation. Not just an obligation of gemilut chassadim, but an obligation of survival. If you're not strengthening the world around you, you're getting weakened by this world. And Yaakov Avinu, although he was obviously just went to yeshiva for an extra 14 years, and he knows the entire Torah much more than we know today. The Torah that the Avot HaKadoshim had was much more extensive than the Torah that we have today. It says in Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah that Avraham Avinu had 400 tractates, 400 chapters, just to Masechet Avodah Zarah. We have five. Meaning, just as Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah was bigger than our entire Gemara that we have today, our entire Shas. It's, uh, It's unimaginable what they had. Secrets, Kabbalah, mystical things, things that we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine it. Imagine that you can't even imagine it. That's what they had. So now Yaakov, that has this Torah, he's worried. What are you worried about? You have this Torah. You're kodesh kodeshim. You're, Hashem is talking to you. If Hashem talked to me. I'm not worried. If Hashem talked to me, If Hashem starts talking to me, he said, da, 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 I don't care what he says. I'm okay. I'm fine. I nuts. What are you going to be worried if Hashem talks to you? Who's going to be worried if Hashem talks to you? Hashem. And not only he talks to him; he gives him blessings. You're, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. You're going to be this. You're going to have this. You're going to have every all the greatest things in the world. He says to Yaakov. Yaakov wakes up terrified. Why terrified? Why terrified? He just gave you a bunch of blessings. He says, after this mission, I'm going to have to come back. And unfortunately, if I didn't strengthen Lavan, that means that there's a possibility that the dust of sin will be with me. I'll be tainted a little bit. I'll be hurt a little bit. It's not going to be the same level as I'm entering. The mitzvah is not going to be the same thing. When I first start laying tefillin, you first start doing tefillin, you're so excited. So excited, put tefillin on. Oh, you feel holy. You feel like you're flying. First time you do tefillin, 13 years old, or if you did shuvah later on in your life, you know, put tefillin on, you feel like you're Moshe Rabbeinu, Mount Sinai. No more, no less. You feel great. Tefillin, shh, amazing. After you do it for four, five, six years, all of a sudden, eh, I'm putting it. There. It's like you're doing God a favor. You first start doing tshuva. You do the daim sh- 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 well, You put the whole thing on three times. You fill up the whole bucket. Put it. People have to bring buckets from the wells just to wash your hands. You're so excited for the tilat I'm about to eat bread kvod I'm about to eat bread. It's like the first time bread you have in your, in your life. Buckets are coming to pour on your hand. You're so excited for the tilat yedaim. You do it for a couple of years, it's almost like you didn't do it. It's like you put a few drops. Almost like they spit on your hand a few times. You're doing God a favor. Mariah Masechet Shabbat, page 62. It says three people, three people get punished with poverty. Three people. One. Someone that is repulsive. Someone does disgusting things, like peeing in the street. Doesn't take care of themselves. Someone that's disgusting is a walking Chilul Hashem. Goes, you know, you see, sometimes you see people, they feel like the street is their bathroom, the street is their everything. They do all types of things in the street. They make babies in the streets. They fill their filters on the streets. Everything there. It's like, it's like no shame whatsoever. All the bushah. That they're supposed to have somehow, they lost it. Maybe they lost it uh, in the store or something. If you go look for it. No bushah whatsoever. Repulsive people. Hashem says he's going to send them a certain angel by the name of Naval. Naval is the angel in charge of poverty. Why? Naval means repulsive. Second, someone that his wife curses him to his face. Someone, his wife curses him to his face. What is his fault? She's cursing. She's the one. I said on Sunday, something I heard from Ab Yosefi, he's been doing Kiruv for over 50 years. I think by now he knows what he's doing. One of the greats. And he says, you know, interesting thing he learned after five decades of doing Kiruv is every time a woman is not modest... She always has a filthy mouth, by default. Every time a woman is not modest, she always has a filthy mouth, she always curses. Sometimes even she's modest, she curses. But by, by default, if she's not modest, she curses. Why? What does one thing have to do with the other? Obviously, if Yosefi says, when a woman is not modest, that means she has no bushah, there's no shame. Meaning that there's no uh, class, there's no, uh, you know putting gates around the gates, nothing. It's just, everything is one size fits all. woman doesn't have shame in our clothing will definitely not have shame when the words that come out of their mouth. So the Gemara says if you're a wife, you picked an immodest wife, and she didn't do tshuva with you, or neither one of you did tshuva, and she curses you to your face, just know that same angel we just talked about is coming to visit. Why is he coming to visit? It's not, what is his fault? What, she's the one cursing. She's the one with the filthy mouth. Why is it my fault? Gemara says, it is your fault. Why? Because she's cursing you because you're not buying her anything. You're cheap. You're cheap husband. You're able to afford to buy her a gift. Every Chag, you're supposed to buy your, your wife a present for each Chag. Each Yom Tov is supposed to buy something. It doesn't have to be a million dollar present. Anything, something. Just tell you love her, to show you care, Something. Says you have, you don't buy. So she curses you up because you're so stingy. Meaning that stinginess is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Stinginess is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Now, obviously, if you don't have, then first of all, she's not cursing you. And second of all, you're not judged for it if you don't have. But if you have and you don't buy, you have a problem. Third, third, someone who is a Mizalzel yadaim, Someone who does not Treat netilat yadaim, washing your hands before you eat bread, with kavod. He does only a little bit of water, like he's doing God a favor. Like God needs your water. Doing a little bit. So one of the Ravs in the Gemara says, Well, no, listen, maybe it's just, maybe what the sages are telling us is if you just don't do it at all, if you just skip that process. you don't wash your hands, you right away go eat the bread. So Rabbi Chia says, no, 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 no. Absolutely, it means if you don't honor it. Why? The way that I know for sure I got rich, he says, Rabbi says, the way I know I got rich, how? I put a lot of water on my hands when I do it till the I got rich that way. That's my zgula. You want a zgula and the gemara? So now, you have extraordinary things happen in the world. A lot of balagan, a lot of politics, a lot of craziness, but very few people are looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, maybe it's time that I start doing a checks and balances of what I'm doing. If I'm ready for the Mashiach, if I'm ready for Judgment Day, if I'm ready for anything. But most people don't care. Most people don't change. Most people don't really think there's anything wrong with them. Most people think that if there's something wrong, ah, it's just something small. Something small, yeah, okay, I have to get a maybe a better quality tefillin. Maybe I have to learn an extra five minutes a day. You know, it's something small. No one thinks that, In reality, if Mashiach came, you're not even on the line. No one thinks that. The Tanaim thought that. But we don't think it. So, one of the main reasons is because we've been poisoned by the world around us to such an extent that we can't tell the difference of who's Jewish and who's not. It's hard for us to tell the difference between who's Jewish and who's not. Of course, somebody's mother's Jewish, by default. I mean, obviously, their Allah says that they're Jewish. But I don't mean that. I don't mean that. What I mean is that many Jews, both religious and non-religious, are very similar, have very similar lifestyles to the rest of the nations. Very similar lifestyles. So last week when I talked about how you're not allowed to celebrate Thanksgiving with the Goim, you want to have turkey, you can have turkey any day of the year. There's no problem with eating turkey. Enjoy. As long as it's a kosher turkey, go ahead and enjoy it. But as far as celebrating a special holiday that's, that's for the Goim, you're not allowed to do it. Even more so if you're inviting them, if you're inviting non-Jews to your house, even more so if you're, if you're going to their house, not allowed. Even with the kosher turkey, you're not allowed. Sue fought it. Who, who's, who would you think? You would think that the people that would uh, got, got a lot of traction... And it's not like I made up this law. This is the law of the Torah. People blame me all the time. Like, I wrote the Torah. Levi, I wrote the Torah, but I didn't. I promise. Hashem didn't ask me for permission. If he did, at least I'll write my name at the end. Author. You Give me some rights. Give me a dollar for each uh, each book or something. Some royalty. Something. You know how rich I would be? They sell billions of books every year. So, a lot of people got upset. But who got upset? Who got upset? Secular people, atheist people, Christians, Catholics, Orthodox. Orthodox people, modern Orthodox, somewhat Orthodox, maybe Orthodox, sometimes Orthodox, whatever Orthodox, religious Jewish people or what people, they call themselves religious, they were the ones that got really, really upset about this few-minute clip that says you're not allowed to celebrate Thanksgiving. saying, no, but we live in America and we should thank America. What about thank God? No, but it's about God. We're thanking God. Okay, you can thank God every day. Why do you have to eat a turkey with the goin' for that? No, but everybody had every excuse in the world of why you're supposed to and have to and should and why and who and how. And now it's a special day. And it, I have one question for everyone. Anyone that celebrated this holiday, anyone that thinks it's the right thing to celebrate the holidays of the Goim, whether it be 4th of July or Thanksgiving, or like that uh, imbecile, uh, where he calls himself a rabbi, he's celebrating Christmas now apparently. Uh, you know, he says to everybody that he's honoring, uh, he's honoring the Goim now. He goes shopping for Christmas or Xmas, Shemin Achem, calls himself an Orthodox rabbi. Because his payers are very long, and uh, the point is that I have a question for everyone. You have all these holidays. Whatever they call them—holidays, Fourth of July, Xmas, uh, Thanksgiving—I don't know, Easter, whatever, whatever holiday, Kwanzaa—I don't care, whatever—all these holidays, right? You have these holidays, and any time Torah tells you, Ohava, Torah tells you not to celebrate them. And you get upset, especially Thanksgiving. It's a neutral holiday. Everybody made it like it's uh, Matan Torah. It's a Shavuot. I said now loud. Uh, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Ah, yes. Chilu Hashem. Chilu Hashem. Okay, them. Let me ask you a question. Me, can you look in the mirror when you answer this question? Momosh, you have to look in the mirror when you ask this question, because I can't see you, because you're somewhere away. When you can ask yourself the question, I'm not going to be there. So you have to look at yourself in the mirror to see if you're full of it when you answer are you as excited, and are your kids as excited, your kids, your little kids, little five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, that you have in your house, running around your house, breaking your house, they're all getting ready for this turkey because you're going to play football, and baseball, and this ball, and that ball, and you're going to bake it, and you're going to burn it, and you're going to, whatever, all the things you're going to do with this turkey, fine, let's say you're going to do all that. Are you, and them, and these kids, are you as excited, are you as excited about Rosh Hashanah, as you are about Thanksgiving. What was the last time you were celebrating with the whole house for Rosh Hashanah? As you did for Thanksgiving. What was the last time you celebrated and got prepared and everyone's ready? And you bake something special and everything was great for Rosh Hashanah. But I don't mean, oh yeah, I celebrate Hashanah, I went to Shul. No, 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 no. Excited. Excited. I don't mean you have to do it if you're a relig- if you call yourself a religious Jew. Obviously, you have to go to Shul, you have to eat some food. I am not mean that. I mean excited. You had like fire in your veins and you were willing to defend the honor of Rosh Hashanah as much as you did for Thanksgiving by calling me names and calling other rabbis' names. And When? When would you defend it? Did you defend any Jewish holiday in the history of your life like you did the holiday of the Goim? Once you look in the mirror and you see that the answer is no, then realize... You're partially going You've become so connected to it, you've become part with it. It's time to do Tshuva. Now, in this week's parasha, Parashat Vayislach, Yaakov Avinu leaves the house of, of uh, Lavan finally. After the meeting they had at the end and the whole craziness that the threats that came from Lavan, at the end of it all, Lavan knew that he couldn't do anything about it. And Yaakov left with his family. Now, the parasha starts. <speaking in Hebrew> Yaakov sent angels. Rashi says, angels mamash. Real angels. Yaakov's chavruta. He had a bunch of angels hanging out with him. We can't even draw an angel. Think about an angel or even understand what an angel means. Hey, he had he had little study partners, little people that worked for him, they were angels. He sent the angels to Esav. He sent the angels to Esav to go see what's happening out there. The Mephoshim say, the commentary say that he, there was no other way, there was no other route, he had to pass this way. There was no other way that he would pass. And he says, make sure you tell Esav, im levan garti im Lavan So, he says, "I lived." Tell, tell, um, Esav, that I lived with Lavan until now. What Esav doesn't know, Esav knows. That's why he didn't go chase him down. Esav wanted to kill him for thirty-four years. Thirty-four years. He's been gone. Esav has been upset for thirty-four years. He didn't forget. 34 years. He went 14 years to the yeshiva. and 20 years, Laban. 34 years he's gone. Esav, upset for 34 years. Imagine you're upset for 34 years. Who could be upset for 34 years? Esav's upset for 34 years, so he doesn't know. He could have just went over there. He couldn't go. Why? Because Laban was a bigger criminal than him. You're scared of him. So he's telling... The angels to tell Esav im Garti. I lived with a, I lived with Lavan. He knows why he telling them? Because he's trying to give us a hint and Esav a hint. Garti, the word Garti, which means I lived with him, has the numerical value of six hundred and thirteen, meaning I lived with the biggest rasha in the world and I kept the entire Torah. He didn't influence me. He didn't affect me. So if I can live with the biggest Rasha in the world and still hold on to Hashem because my life depends on it, just know that whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you have, whatever you're going to do, all that stuff means nothing to me. You're not dealing with the regular person. You're dealing with Eved Hashem. You're dealing with a servant of Hashem. And by the way, meet my angels. So... Already, he's telling Isab, I'm not, uh, I'm not the little Yaakov that you knew 34 years ago. Sometimes it's hard for people to let go of the past. One time, there was a uh, childhood chavuta of Rabbi Nachman Breslev. Childhood chavuta. After, you know, came to see him. It was in the same town. Childhood chavuta. I remembered Rabbi Nachman Breslev before he was Rabbi Nachman Breslev. And uh, you know everybody, and everyone, you know, obviously give big honor for the Rav But this guy from childhood, he thinks it's still the same uh, same Nachman. Hey, Nachman. Hey. So he comes and he shakes Rabbi Nachman's hand extra hard and like shakes him like hey no come on relax already remember me from childhood remember me. What oh, the Gova? you think who you are now? What's well, me? Shmuli, from a long time ago. Come on. We grew up together. We played in a sandbox together. Apparently, it, off- it offended Rabbi Nachman, and instantly the person became crippled. Instantly. On the spot, he became crippled. Kvoda Torah is significant, and the guy had to become crippled for a little while to understand. Rabbi Nachman of today is not the same one that he met 35 years ago. Sometimes the people from your past don't want to let it go. No, I knew him before he did tshuva. I knew her before she converted. I knew him before he became this. I knew him before he became rich. I knew him before he did this. Everyone wants to tell the world I knew Donald Trump. We went to school together. What school did you go? Oh, we were in fifth grade together. Yeah, that was 70 years ago. Who cares? You think he remembers you? He didn't remember you when he was in 6th grade and you were in 5th grade. Everyone wants to, oh no, I remember, I remember. What do you remember? What's the difference you remember? No one wants to let go of the past. And the reason why is because it hurts their ego. They see this guy became successful and they're still in the same little sandbox. Nothing changed for them. It bothers them that they didn't become the rabbi. It bothers them that they didn't become the speaker. It bothers them that they didn't become the president. It bothers them that they didn't become the businessman. It bothers them they're still in the same sandbox 30 years later. And the world around them evolved and grew. And they want to pull everyone back down with them. So Yaakov Avinu wanted to make sure that Esav he knows, Hey, I'm not the same Yaakov from 35 years ago. Just so you know. In Levant Gerti. But after that, despite having angels, despite having all the dushah that he had, talking to Hashem, being a prophet, he says something strange. He says something that if you don't think about it, you haven't read the parasha. Because if you look at it, if you read the parasha, you have to think about this point for a while. He says in chapter thirty-two, verse eleven until the end of uh, verse twelve. Katonti Says I have been. He's talking to Hashem. I've been diminished by all of the kindness and by all the truth that you have done your servant. For with my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. So first and foremost, he says, Hashem, I need your help. You have to save me. But in reality, you've done so much for me and I don't deserve any of it. You gave me life. You gave me eyes. You gave me ears. You gave me a wife. You gave me kids. You gave me all these amazing things. I don't deserve anything. Tachlis, by the end of the day, we don't deserve anything. Just so you know. Everyone thinks they go to Hashem with complaints. Everyone has a complaint box for Hashem. Hashem, how come you didn't give me more money? How come you didn't give me a better wife, a better husband, a better kid, a better house, a bigger Bitcoin account, a bigger this account, a bigger this. Everyone has complaint boxes for Hashem. In reality, Yaakov Avinu is teaching you something critical. Hashem doesn't owe you anything. And everything you have, everything you have, is 100% chesed, meaning it's a free gift. Even the mitzvot that you do don't deserve the gifts that you get from Hashem. Even the mitzvot that you do don't deserve the gifts that you get from Hashem because realistically, He gives you the gifts before you did the mitzvot anyway. He gave you life before you did the mitzvah. He gave you the ability to see before you did the mitzvah. He gave you money before you bought the book. He gave you a house before you did Hanukkah to he gave you great parents before you even know what before you even knew to honor your parents before you knew the mitzvah of honoring your parents before you did anything he already gave you he fronted you the money before you even scratched the lotto. he gave you the winning ticket and now after you have the winning ticket you have the reward we still complain how come we didn't give us more. Why don't you give me more money? Why don't you give me more kids? Why don't you give me more of this and more of this and more? We go to complaints with him. So Yaakov, who did a lot more than any of us, says, Hashem, katonti mikola In reality, you already gave me too much. Meaning, for me to ask you to save me from Esav, why? In reality, there's no reason for you to save him other than just you want to save me. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's an additional chesed. I don't have the merit to get something extra. you already gave me more than enough. Anyone that teaches you the opposite where they say no, ask for everything and, 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 and uh, you deserve it because you did great and you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. everything you got Bauch Hashem that's what you deserve. You want more ask of course. I'm not saying don't ask but don't think that Hashem owes you. there's no debt here. We're in debt. That's what Yaakov Avinu is teaching us. We are in debt. We are in debt to the one that keeps giving us non-stop. He's the only one that only gives and never receives. We're the ones that receive and barely ever give. So Yaakov Avinu, Kodesh Kodeshim, says, "Hashemid Barach." you already gave me too much, but please just, just one more time, please one more time, save me here. Save me here, because realistically, what's the example? He says, I crossed this Jordan River with my staff and now it becomes two camps. The Midrash in Me'am Loez and also Midrash Rabbah and a few other places says, what's actually the Pirush here? What's the commentary here? What does it mean He crossed the river? What's the significance? It says, when I ran away, when I ran away from Esav, his son, which was my student, meaning Yaakov's student, his son caught him. He says, hey, hey Abba, Abba sent me to you here to kill you. Abba sent me, Isav sent me to kill you. So Yaakov says in the Torah, it says, there's a few people that are determined dead. Consider dead, someone that's blind, someone that's poor, that lost all of his money, doesn't have anything to to survive with, and someone that has tzarat. It's a spiritual slash physical disease. He says, listen, take all my money, Take everything I have, take all the sheep, take all the money, take everything. I just leave my stick. That's all I have, a stick. He says, Esav, even though it was a student, was a student of Yaakov Avinu. He says, okay, he took even his clothes. Even his clothes he took, meaning that Yaakov Avinu is actually saying here, yeah, I crossed the all I came here with was with a stick. That's all I had. I had a stick. That's across the river with a stick. I didn't even have clothes on my shoulder. Now I come back to my parents' house with two camps. Look how much chasadim you gave me, Hashem. I thought it was A test? Who could Someone sent to kill you, an assassin. Professional assassin was sent to kill you. Hashem lets you survive. On top of it, you survive to the biggest rasha in the world. You all work for the mafia. You survive. Still the same tzaddik and even better. And now you come back with wealth. You have two camps. You have kids. You have wives. You have everything. He have... says, Look how much you already gave me. Have you count? Have any of us counted how much Hashem gave us lately? Have you reviewed the last few years? Forget the whole life. Last few years, five years. Do you do an account instead of doing an accounting of how much money you want? All the things you want from Hashem. All you know, I know. Probably everybody has a list, an IOU list. Hashem owes me this. Hashem owes me this. Hashem owes me a bigger house, at least ten million dollar house, at least eighty kids, with no babysitters too. At least uh, every wife, at least every day. Everybody has an IOU list, like Hashem owes them stuff. Let's put that IOU list for a second aside. and Maybe in the garbage too. But let's look at the things He gave you already. Has any of us done an accounting just of the last five years? Not your whole life, five years. Your whole life may take your whole life to actually figure out what He gave you. You won't finish. If you actually think about how much Hashem gave you your whole life, it would take you your whole life to figure it out. That's how much he gave you. Already up to now. It doesn't matter how old you are. You could be 30. You could be 90. Just to figure out how much he gave you and to count all the things he gave you would take you the rest of your life. That's how much he gave you. But just figure out what he gave you in the last five years. Oh, he saved me here. Over there, I was almost in an accident. Over there, I was supposed to have a surgery. Over there, I got money when I needed it. Over there, I got the love of my life. Over there, I had a son. Over there, I had a daughter. Over there, I got married. Over there, I got a nice burger that I liked. You count all the things that Hashem gave you, how many times He saved you, how many times He... And we didn't deserve it, we really didn't deserve it. Why? Because you do tefillin, because you, you put a mitpachat uh, on your head. Why? What, what do you think you deserve it for? for? What? What did you really do for Him? What? You think He became better because of you? He's the same. He's perfect. But yet, we forget that. We think that He owes us. And it's the wrong mentality. The reason why it's such a bad mentality is because as long as we think Hashem owes us stuff, we forget to be grateful for what He gave us. And if you're not grateful for what Abba and Shemaim is giving you, you're convincing Him not to continue giving you. If you go to Abba and say, Abba, what can I do for you? Abba says, oh, make me coffee. He said, nah, Abba knew something else. Okay, make me a tea. Ah, no, 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 Abba, uh, something else. Ah, right, just bring me the book. I want to read some Gemara. Abba, can you just get it for yourself? You think he's going to want to give you anything the next time you ask him? Abba, give me five bucks to go get some ice cream. Give me a hundred bucks. Give me a thousand bucks. Give me whatever. You think he's going to give you anything? You ungrateful little censor. you think? Did you want to give me? Anything? You want to give him coffee? Yes, yes. What do you want? What do you want? I want coffee. No, no, Abba, something else. Tea? No, no, it's too hard. Tea. I have to put the bag, in. you know, it's hot water. It's dangerous, Abba. It's dangerous to make tea. Okay, give me the book. It's right there. There's books. There's three hundred books. Give me one book. Pick any one of them. Abba, it's uh, far. What? Three steps. I'm gonna go to my room. I'm too tired. Why? Because you think Abba owes you something. You think Abba, you're not there, say, Abba, I want to give you something. You think Abba owes you something. He owes you a bank account. He owes you a this. He owes you a that. He owes you, owes you, owes you. You forget to be grateful for what he gave you already. <laughs> How much? Did you do an account tonight before you go to sleep. Do an account. What has Hashem given me in the last five years? Five years is too much, by the way. One year. Just count the last year. Last year. Just count and write it down. Hashem gave me this. it's gave me one one year count. Look how much Hashem gave you in one year. By the time you finish the list, you'll be embarrassed to not be grateful the next day. Embarrassed, embarrassed to not be grateful to Hashem. Why? Look how much He gave you. Katonti mikol haChasadim. But then Yaakov Avinu says, Atileni na miyad achi miyadey saf." Save me, Hashem. Please from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Asav. He says, save me Hashem from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav. Wait, your brother is Esav. You don't have three brothers. You have one brother. Why are you saying your brother and Esav? I remember I gave you guys a khidush about it some time ago. Another elaboration on the same khidush is that Yaakov Inu is trying to tell us something critical. Esav Everyone knows he's dangerous. Esav, everyone knows Esav is dangerous. Esav is famous. He killed Nimrod. Killed Nimrod, Rasha, thought that he was a god, Esav came and killed him. Killed the biggest gangster in the East Coast. So now it's Esav and Lavan. Esav on the East, Lavan on the West. He took control. Everyone knows who Esav is. Everyone knows. It says, "Atzileni yad First, save me from my brother, then save me from myself. Why? Who's this brother? Same person. What's the difference? Chidush here is that Yaakovinu is telling us it's more dangerous. It's more dangerous. The version of Esav—that's my brother—because I can't tell. The world can't tell the difference. Sometimes Esav. Looks like a rabbi. Sometimes a Sav looks like a tzaddik. Sometimes a Sav looks like he's supposed to be my best friend. It's not obvious he's aysav. That's when he's more dangerous. When he's aysav and he's got a scar on his face and he's got a, a gun in his hand and he's a criminal. Everyone knows he's aysav. Wow! Everyone knows. I can run away. Well everyone when it's a Nazi with a swastika on his face, everyone knows it's a Nazi Mahshimo Hashem is gonna punish each one of them in Gainum forever. Say amen. amen. Everyone knows it's sab. it's no problem. He says, No, save me from my brother. What do you mean it's the same one? He goes, No, 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 the one here that doesn't look like the Nazi. Because he doesn't want to kill my body, he wants to kill my soul. That's the missionaries, that's the messianic Jews. They're not really Jews. They're Christians, but they call themselves Jews. That's the fake Orthodox. That's the fake people of the world. That's the guys that, mamash, are killing souls for a living. And I'm sad to say that some of them call themselves Orthodox. Some of them look like Hasidim. Some of them look like they're Kodesh. In reality, it's full of Tumah, full of impurity. The problem is that most people don't realize that Achieh is Esav. They don't realize that that rabbi is Esav. Why? He has 5,000 followers on YouTube. He has a video that he makes. He tells people we should honor Xmas, even though it's for the goyim. And he shows him and his wife and poor little kids who don't know right or left that they're shopping for Xmas in Target, He says, he makes another video, he says, God spoke to me and said thank you. God spoke to him. Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu didn't say God spoke to me and say thank you, but this Rasha Merusha says God spoke to me, as a video. God spoke to me and said thank you. To you, thank you. He said thank you to you because you made a, a rap album. As a rabbi, he made a rap album. He said thank you for that. Or he wrote a children's book that somebody else probably wrote because the guy can't speak, let alone talk, let alone uh, let alone spell. But anyway, he wrote a book and it says, "Oh, he said thank you to me." This makes you a navi shekel. This makes you a false prophet. In the days of the Sanhedrin, they would kill him on the spot. No second chances. He said, "God spoke to you and said thank you." This is asev. People like that are is There's one rasha in Israel right now who's caught converting people. Just for money, no mitzvot. You don't have to keep mitzvot, just give me money, I'll convert you. Another lunatic, supposedly a famous singer, orthodox, religious, decided that it's a good idea to go sing for homosexuals in a reformed synagogue. He says, I'm doing kiruv, doing kiruv in a church for homosexuals. You don't know who's a sab unless you look deep inside. That's why you have to pray to Hashem every single day. First of all, thank Him for all He gave you. Thank Him for all He gave you. Then say, Hashem, save me from my Save me from my brother. I can't tell the difference. This guy says he's Jewish. This guy says he's Everyone says they're Jewish. Everyone says they're kosher. Everyone says they're great. Everyone, who's going to say they're not great? Who's going to say, yeah, I'm a liar, by the way? Who's going to say it? Including myself. Including the one you're looking at right now. Double check everything I'm saying. Don't just trust me because I said it. Because it sounds good to your ears. Double check everything. I say. a page, look at the page. I say halakha, look at the Alakha. Don't trust me. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust anybody. Why? Your ulama buys on the line. Your ulama buys on the line. If someone lied to you and you didn't, you didn't double check, you're at fault too waiting just because somebody lied to you, told you that as long as you go to mikveh, everything's going to be okay. And you falling for it for 90 years, it's okay. You think you're going to Gan Eden? They're going to give you a different mikveh with lava in it for being so foolish. What do you think? You just claim ignorance in Shemaim? Double check everything. Everything. Don't trust anyone. Yaakov Avinu is telling you that. Don't trust anyone. Double-check everything. The one that looks like my brother? Save me from him. Esav, I know he's Esav. I see a Catholic guy, a Christian guy, a missionary guy, I know it's Esav. It's not a problem. It's not a disguise. I see the Messianic Jew, this Yitzhak uh, Shapiro, I see him, I know it's Esav. It's not a problem. But a lot of people don't. Why they haven't double-checked? He looks Jewish, he speaks Hebrew. He reads from you know, from a, from a chumash. He says Hashem, Hashem a million times. He also says Yoshke, but whatever. A, he calls him Mashiach. He calls him a lot. It sounds Jewish, really. It really sounds Jewish. But it's Christianity. He has a lot of things, a lot of material things to disguise. Satan pays well. He pays cash. He pays cash for as much as you can spend. Satan pays as much as you can spend. You want to be rich? Work for the Satan. But you're also going to have eternal suffering for it too. So now a guy like that, you don't know. It's a unless you double check. Unless you double check the other imbeciles, all the people that are saying all these fake things about converts, there's a Gertoshav, Gertis, you don't have to convert anymore. You could just be a Jew without being a Jew. I make all these new rules. Rambam was wrong. This one is wrong. Everyone's wrong until today. Even though, in comparison to everyone before us, we're all like monkeys. Somehow, we, these people think they're smarter. These people think they're more righteous. You have to double check. You can't be spiritually lazy. You cannot afford to be spiritually lazy. This is one of the things that I see today with a lot of people that both in the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. In the non-Jewish world, unfortunately, some people are falling for this trap, for this fake ger toshav movement, where pretty much, according to these couple of uh, people, you don't have to convert anymore. You can keep Shabbat. You can keep mitzvot. You can learn the entire Torah as a goy, as a non-Jew. No problem. (coughs) As long as you keep sending them checks too, because of course they keep writing books that you have to keep buying, even though it says the same nonsense in each one of them. And it's all kefirah, and one of them pretends like he's a prophet. Anyway, they're Orthodox Jews. And uh, we should listen. So these people, these righteous non-Jews, righteous goys, they were planning on converting for so many years. We're planning on getting closer to Hashem for so many years, We're planning on getting better and better in regards to their honoring of Hashem, what had happened? They said, no, no, some rabbi told me that I don't have to do anything anymore. I could just sit home, I could watch Shireh Torah, and that's it, I don't have to convert. And when you get up to Shemaim with that argument, they're going to tell you, why were you so lazy? What do you mean I woke up every day at 6 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, but why were you so lazy? What do you mean? I I learned Torah. Yeah, yeah, but why were you so lazy? What? I, I watched the Shurim. No, no, you were spiritually lazy. You didn't double check. You didn't double check to see that these clowns are lying. They're making up new rules, new laws, new Torah, new religion. Why'd you fall for it? 3,300 years, it hasn't changed. Today changed because some guy it's decided it. No, no, the other guys are too scary. They're scary. They talk about genome. It's too scary. What do you think? The uh, Torah is a cartoon book? It's very scary. The Torah is very scary. Whoever doesn't teach you a scary Torah is not teaching you Torah. Torah is very scary. Every page in the Gemara is scary. Every page in the Torah is scary, if you understand what it means. It's very scary. It's not a fun book. It's not a, it's not a cartoon it's very scary. Why? Cuz you don't listen and you don't understand you have you have a, you have a serious problem, a problem eternal, not just temporary. It's not a week in punishment, you go to suspension. You have to stay in school for an extra couple of hours. If you understand the verse the wrong way, you have a problem. If you keep Shabbat on the wrong day, you have a problem. It's not a problem for 2 hours or 2 days or 2 weeks or 2 months. It's a permanent problem. If you marry the wrong person, it's a permanent problem. If you make money the wrong way, dishonest way, you have a permanent problem. No person in the history of of the world has ever entered Gan Eden with dumb on his hands, with blood on his hands. Stealing money is considered blood on their hands. Unless you do tshuva for it, you can never enter Gan Eden, ever. If you, dis, uh, if you didn't understand that, Allah and you thought that gambling is okay, you have a problem. It's permanent. Torah is not a joke. It's not a fun book. It's fun to learn it. It's fun to learn the truth. It's amazing. It's invigorating. It gives you life. I felt terrible this afternoon. I started learning. I felt like I was in Gan Eden. Mama, it's terrible. My wife is me, I don't know, maybe we we'll take you to the hospital. I don't know what happened to you. I didn't know either. I started learning Torah. I started to Torah. Torah is the greatest thing in the world, but it's not a fun, like, cartoon, oh, yay, let's dance. It's not. Whoever teaches that level of Torah, it's not Torah. Every verse means something. What do you think Hashem wrote it just because He had nothing to do? And that's what people need to understand. You cannot afford to be spiritually lazy. Someone tells you the law changed, verify. How, who, when, is it possible? Who else agrees with it? Oh, only you and your friend. And you happen to make money out of it? Rambam was wrong. Or Yashiv was wrong. Or Vadya was wrong. Everybody's wrong except you too. That's it. This is the new Rashi and Rambam next to him. Like what? and How? How is it possible that we have a, a bigger Chacham than the previous generations? How is it possible? It goes against the Torah. It's In the Torah it says that every generation is worse than the ones before it. It's in the Torah. It's part part of nature. It's part of the world that Hashem created. It's not possible for you to be greater than anyone before you. Not possible. Even if you learn Torah for a thousand years. You will never be greater than Rashi. You will never be greater than Ravavadya. You will never be greater than Rambam or Rabbi Akiva or Moses or anything. You'll never be greater than anyone before you. Never. It's not to toot your own, it's not to to destroy your confidence. It's just, that's the nature of the world. You can be this generation's Moshe Rabbeinu. You could be a giant. You could be Gdol You could be a type of person when they say, Tzadik Vala'ir, oh, he entered the city. Let's celebrate, sure. You could be a big Chacham and know all the secrets of the Torah that you're able to attain in this generation, sure. But to say, no, I know better than the previous generation, the previous Chachamim, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So sometimes I see the going become spiritually lazy. They make new rules. And instead of going to Gan Eden, instead of being called the righteous amongst the nations, they become the fools among the nations, according to the Rambam. On the other hand, even worse, I see Jews do the same thing. Jews do the same thing, unfortunately. They become spiritually lazy and they don't don't double check. Once Sadiq sends me an email, he says, look, I got an email from this company. It says that they're selling kosher scooters for Shabbat, electric scooters for Shabbat to go to Beknesset with for people that have disabilities and so on. Is it kosher? They say it's kosher. Of course. What are think I say? It's not kosher. It's called a kosher scooter. How could it be a kosher scooter if it's not kosher? So can I use it on Shabbat? It's electric. Can I use it on Shabbat? He double-checked. Before he bought, before he spent two, $3,000. He double-checked. Yes. So, said, there's no such thing. But they say that if you're sick and it's hard for you to walk, you should be able to use a scooter. I said, yes, for six days a week. Not on Shabbat. Six days a week, enjoy the scooter. kosher switch is a debate until the poskim say it's allowed I can't comment but kosher scooter nothing kosher about it why you have no obligation to go to the synagogue you have an obligation to keep Shabbat the obligations to keep Shabbat not to go to the synagogue synagogue if you can go go if you can't go don't go but you have no right to Even if you're crippled, even if you're missing uh, limbs and whatever, you have no right to break Shabbat just because you want to go to synagogue. No right. I don't care what anyone says. That's the alacha. That's halacha rabotai. It doesn't change. It's Mount Sinai. You're only allowed to break Shabbat, change the rules of Shabbat, break Shabbat, turn fire on Shabbat, drive a car on Shabbat, go on a bus on Shabbat. Why? If there's a life risk. You go into the hospital. You go into the hospital, no problem. Shabbat's on hold. Why Shabbat on hold? So, you you could survive this Shabbat and keep many more Shabbats. But to go drive to Bekneset because it's far away or you can't walk, there's no leniency like that. The Torah does not change despite what people say. It does not change. It's the same thing. Nothing changed. Nothing changed in the Torah. But people want to change. People want it to change. Why? Because it's not convenient. It's not convenient. So what happens is, is that sav starts to look like us and we can't tell the difference the rabbi starts looking like the priest we can't tell the difference that's why you have to double check you cannot be spiritually lazy you cannot afford to be spiritually lazy now how can we save ourselves I always tell you guys that it's very important to learn and to pick a teacher whoever your teacher is going to be, whoever the rabbi is going to be you have to make sure that someone that's reliable it's not someone that's sugarcoating things it's not someone that's just petting you because you're cute and because it's hard for you to hear but sometimes it's hard to tell so there's Mishnah and David Kavav continues. Rabbi Yosi Bar Yehuda Ish Kfar omer Alomed mina Ktanim. LeMaodome, Leochel Anavim Keot veShotei Yain Migito. VeAlomed mina Skenim. LeMaodome, Leochel Anavim Besulot veShotei Yain Yashan. Translation: Rabbi Yosi Bar Yehuda of Kfar Abavli. Meaning Rabbi Yossi Balyuda of the town in Bavli was is, is Iraq. A lot of the Chachamim lived there. He was the leader in one of the towns over there. Anytime, if you remember in the previous Mishnayot, anytime it says Ish, Ish, even though it means person, it also means leader. He was the leader of that particular town. So Rabbi Yossi Balyuda, this is actually the only Mishnah. There's not much information about him. This is the only Mishnah that he's actually mentioned in. And in essence, it sounds very similar to the Mishnah that we learned last week from Elisha ben Avuya, where he said, one who studies Torah when he's still a child, what is he, what is he like? Like a fresh paper, a clean paper, one who studies when he's old, what is he like? To an ink written on smudge paper. In essence, saying that if you study Torah at an earlier age, it's better than studying Torah at a later age. This sounds similar, but it's not. So Rabbi Yehuda bar, uh, bar Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda of Kfar Bavi says, one who learns Torah from the young, someone young, to what is he like? What is he compared to? To someone who eats unripe grapes and drinks unfermented wine from his vat. Meaning, instead of eating something delicious, Like grapes, if you like grapes, when they're ripe, they're tasty. But unripe grapes, it's disgusting. gives you stomach aches. Wine, if it's aged wine, it's good wine. Usually the older the wine is, the better it gets. But if it's unfermented uh, wine, not only does it give you stomach aches, it's vinegar. It's a completely different thing. Actually, we had a wine just this past Shabbat. Hashem, my wife, God bless her, she had multiple bottles of wine. But one of the wines that we had from the previous week, I don't know, it went bad really quickly. Wine that goes bad, meaning it turns to vinegar. It's disgusting. It's not, I mean, after a week, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But the point I'm trying to say is that what it tasted like brand new when we first opened it, versus just a week later. So I'm not talking about years later. A week later. Awful. Awful. So here he's saying, if you drink unfermented wine, if you eat unripe grapes, that's like learning from someone young. But if you learn Torah from someone that's old, so what is that like? Like someone who eats ripe grapes and drinks aged wine. Now, does this specifically talk about age? Is there a Some type of uh, law where you have to only learn from people that are really old? Or is it talking about knowledge base? How much they've studied, how much life experience they have, and so on and so forth. So, there's a Mishnah in a Masechet Kinim. Mishnah Gimel. uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 3, Mishnah 6. It says, Zeknei HaMaaretz. I'll just say it in English. in English. The ignorant among the people, the people that are not learning Torah their whole life, as they age, they haven't learned Torah, as their age gets greater and greater, their minds become uncertain, crazy, forgetful, not in the right place. Why? They they haven't learned Torah, and as they age, their minds is not the same as it was, and is not as sharp as it was when they were younger. But Talmidei Chachamim, or people that learned Torah their whole life, as they age, they get sharper, they get better. If you notice, the Chachamim, for example, if you see like Chacham Uvadia, in his early 90s, literally months before he died, his mind was sharper than when he was 20. Sharper. I mean, obviously, his body is different. The body has changed. Body's become frail, Bodies become weak. But his mind, as far as his learning, as far as his knowledge, as far as his memory, as far as his everything, Sharper than any 25-year-old superstar you can find in the world. And this is the same goes for all of the Chachamin. This is part of the gifts of Torah. So, Hashem put it in the Teva, put it in the nature of the world, that when a person learns Torah, he has benefits in this world, he has benefits in the next world. But one of the benefits is their, it's, it's, it's their mind. What's going to happen to them? It's very rare to see one of the serious tamideh hachamin, that pure thoughts and pure uh, mind and really one of the leaders becoming senile or becoming uh, you know sick, mentally sick of some kind. It's very, very rare. Generally, they become... Sharper and sharper throughout all of their days, their bodies get frail, but their minds don't. So, where do we learn this from? We learn this from Sefer Yov, from the Book of Job. The book of Job. It says, in uh, chapter twelve, verse twelve, it says the. In the age is wisdom, in length of days understanding, that with him wisdom and might, his are counsel and understanding. So here, this is the verse they use, (coughs) that the Gemara uses, and the uh, Mishnah uses, this is one of the sources that, as people age, when they wisdom is referring to Torah, wisdom in Torah, not wisdom in science or or otherwise, other secular knowledge. It says as someone ages, their uh, wisdom increases. Their wisdom and might increases. But the next one is in in the same chapter, chapter twelve, verse twenty. It says. He distorts the utterness of the trustworthy and takes reason away from the elders, meaning that the rationale, the common sense of the older people that are that haven't dedicated their life to uh, to Torah, could easily be taken away from them. Why? This is one of the Realities or, or, or the downsides of not learning Torah a whole life. So, now, so if this means that you can only learn Torah from old people, what am I doing here? Hashem, I'm not that old. So, one of the Divrei ch- Chazal says, uchacham, baal nisayon. Who is wise? Someone who has experience. So the Vilna Gaon, Alava Shalom, says, how do you determine who's going to be your rabbi? There's a few things that a rabbi needs to have. Meaning, how are you going to determine who you're going to learn from? Well, you learn from anyone who just knows Allahot. You learn from anyone who wears a hat, anyone who has a beard. Well, how do you, how do you decide what to learn? Because over here, Rabbi Yossi is saying that the teacher is very significant. It's, you can't just decide to learn from whoever you want. There has to be a, uh, certain choices. Young, old, smart, foolish, attitude. What's the, how do you determine who to learn from? Because we just talked about for the last hour, you could very well be spent the last two years, three years, however long you've been learning from certain rabbis, and you could very well find out today they're a sav. Why? Because two years after learning, you're still violating Shabbat. Two years after learning, you're still not keeping anything more. Only thing you're keeping is that you're keeping a schedule to watch the issue him every week. Otherwise, you're not doing anything else. Nothing changed. You still eat whatever you want. You still act the way you want. No, none of me don't have changed. Nothing has changed. That means most likely, either you're a or they're a or both. If you're learning Torah, the point of learning Torah is to do something about it. So the Magid, Mikut, uh, Mikut in there, there uh, says, One who prepares himself to study Torah, how do you prepare? First thing he has to do is start doing tshuva by repenting as if for all the misdeeds he did before he starts studying. Before he starts studying, start doing chattano avinu pashanu like a little baby. Cry to Hashem like he's a little baby so you he can, he can be born again. Say, I'm sorry for all the sins. That already opens up the person's mind. For the purity of Torah. He says, in essence, what is this trying to teach us? What is the Magi trying to teach us? Is that the point of you learning Torah is for tshuva. The whole purpose of why you're learning Torah. Every time you learn Torah is for you to do tshuva through this Torah you're going to learn. If you're learning Torah, just so you can tell people certain stories. If you're learning Torah, just so you can tell people, I I know a bunch of halachot. If you learn Torah just because you want to tell people "I told you so," I know more than you. Loba Shamaimi. That's not Torah from shamayim. That's your that's your ego. Your ego is learning. You are not learning still. A lot of people like to learn alachot. It's very good and very important to learn alachot. The problem is, is that many people learn alachot, but they forget to work on their midot. So in reality, the only reason why they're learning halakhot, they're learning the laws, and I see this all the time, almost every single Beknez that I've ever been in, there's always a few people that stay after, They learn halakhot, they read out loud, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, which is good, it's good, by, by default, it's very good, you have to learn halakhot every day, no question asked, you have to learn. The problem is that very often I find that many people learn plenty of halakhot, but still act like a sav they still don't know how to behave. And all they're doing with all the halachot that they're learning, all the laws that they're learning is just telling people, I told you, I told you, I told you, you yellow people that everyone's doing wrong. In essence, the whole point of their learning is not to teach. It's to tell people, I told you so. Meaning it's their ego that's being fed. Not their neshama. So, first and foremost, know that the point of learning is tshuva. That's the point of learning. All of the prophets we ever had, whether it's Moshe Rabenu, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, any of them, any of the prophets uh, that you want to mention, every single one of them had a single mission, had a unified mission. Tell Am Yisrael, do tshuva. Tell Am Yisrael, do tshuva. That's the point. Rabbeinu Tam, alava shalom, used to read Parashat Bechukotai. The parasha, in the Torah, talks about all the curses, of what happens when Am Yisrael sins against Hashem. Horrible, horrible things. the Hashem in several months, we're going to read it again. Horrible, awful things for anyone that reads it and actually understands what it says literally. I'm not even talking about the commentary and the behind the scenes. Just literally, read it in a language that you understand. If English is your first language, read it in English. If Spanish is your first language, read it in Spanish. If whatever you, you speak Mars language, read it in Mars language. I'm sure the Torah has been translated to Mars language. It's been translated to every other language. Point is, read it in a language you understand. Why? Because once you read it, you have to do tshuva. If you believe in the Torah, you have to do tshuva. So Rabenu Tam, Rabenu Tam used to read Parashat Bechuqotai every day, every single day, every single day of his life. He learned parashat v'chukotai. Why? Tzutshuva. Rabenu Tam. Rabbenu Tam. Connected to Rashi. Kodesh kodeshim. Some people change their entire life schedule because of Rabbenu Tam. They keep Shabbat extra longer. They put tefillin, second tefillin on their head. Rabbenu Tam, this is one of the greats. He had to do tshuva every single day, he says. I had to read parashat v'chukotai, he says, every day. Every day of his life. Before he starts learning, Gemara, there is that. The other thing, every day you read Pesach Bechukotai. Most people, most people, heard Pesach Bechukotai in the Biknisit, but they don't really know what it means. Why? Because when I tell people in the Pasha in the Torah, it says one of the punishments that Ami gets when they go against Hashem, it gets to such a horrible level that Hashem puts us in a situation where we eat our children, Hashem Yechem. Everyone's surprised, shocked. What do you mean? This is the Torah. Who said this? This is commentary. This is a midrash. This is a zohar. Who said this? I said no. Hashem said it. Hashem said it a half a dozen times. A half a dozen times in the Torah. He said it not once or twice. It's not commentary. It's literally in the Torah. What do you mean? I never heard it. You probably never understood what the Chazan is saying. So read it in a language you do understand what it says. Rabbi Tam used to read it every day. Why? He says, I have to do Tshuva. Rabbi Tam has to do Tshuva. What about us? He has to do Tshuva every day. He has to read Rosh Hashem Bechokotah. What do we have to do? He has to do Tshuva every day. We have to do Tshuva. We, we have to ask Hashem for 48 hours a day. Just to do what Rabbi Tam did. Do you understand? But we're coasting. We're ready for Rosh Hashem to come. Why is he coming already? Rabbi Yaakov Shalom, one time was on a plane with one of his sons. And next time, I told you guys this story some time ago, if you didn't hear it, it's worth hearing it again. Next time sits a very well-to-do professor. Science professor teaches people that they came from monkeys. And that uh, dinosaurs ruled the world, and the world is a zillion years old, so on and so forth. He's also on a plane with his son. So throughout the whole flight, it's a long flight, the professor, every few minutes his son asks him for something. Abba, I'm hungry. Okay, okay. does, please give my son something to eat. Abba, I'm thirsty. Okay, let me, I'll get you something to drink. So, please give us a drink. Abba, I'm cold. Okay, hold on, I'll go get you a cover, blanket. Abba, I gotta go to the bathroom. Okay, I'll take you to the bathroom. Abba, I gotta come back from the bathroom. Okay, I'll take you to the bathroom. Abba, I'm uncomfortable. Abba, I'm bored. Abba, I'm this. Abba, I'm this. Every five minutes for 10 hours. 10 hours, Abba, this and Abba, that. Every He's a servant with the, with the stewardess. Stewardess is helping and he's serving right next to All day, he's serving his 10 year old kid. But he sees this doesn't bother him as much. He's used to this already. What bothers him? He sees this rabbi. Simple rabbi, he doesn't not, uh, he doesn't know it's doesn't know it's of Yaakov Kamenetsky. Simple Rabbi says the whole ten hours he's reading a book, and every few minutes his son says, Abba, do you want to eat something? No, no, I'm okay, I'm sorry. Abba, do you want to drink something? No, no, I'm okay. Abba, you cold? I have a blanket for you. Abba, maybe you have to go this, maybe you have to get something for you. You need anything, Abba, you need anything? The, ten hours, the son is asking the Abba, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Ten hours, this professor is eating his heart. He has no idea what just happened here. At the end of the flight, or the trip, I think maybe it was a train goes to the rabbi and he says, listen, you got to tell me, what's the secret? He says, what's the secret? He says, the whole ride, 10 hours I'm serving my son, I give him this, I give him this, it's never enough, he's tired, he's sleepy, he goes to the bathroom, back to the bathroom, da, 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 you have turned your son into the best servant in history. How? How would you do it? He goes, oh, that's easy. He says, see, you believe that you came from a monkey. So you teach, a guy told him, he's a professor and so on, teaches science, came from monkeys, came from dinosaurs, came from lizards, came from something. You teach him that you came from a monkey, right? So, in essence, every generation is further and further away from the monkey. Therefore, it's better than the monkey. Therefore, he thinks he's better than you. Because you're closer to the monkey than he is. We teach our sons Torah. We teach our sons that we came from Hashem, and Adam Arishon, perfect human being, and every generation from the beginning has deteriorated from Adam Arishon. meaning that every generation is further and further from the best, meaning I'm better than him. That's why he serves me. That's why he respects me. So rule number one, in learning Torah, The Chachamim explain this time and time again. Whether you want to look at some of the Ma'amarim of Rabizusha, Zusha, of Anipoli, or the uh, Konitzir Magid, or several others. Bottom line is a person can never learn Torah from someone that they see that's on the same level as them. If you view your teacher as your peer, don't learn from him learn from someone else. If you view your teacher as your friend and your knowledge base is the same, he's not your teacher. Find a teacher. If you think this teacher doesn't have much to teach you, you know plenty. It's not your teacher. Find someone else. Number one rule of Torah is for us to emulate. Moshe Rabbeinu or even Mount Sinai, it says the greatest mountain that ever existed is Mount Sinai. Why? It's not the biggest. It's not the longest. But the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. Why? Why Mount Sinai? Because Mount Sinai humbled itself. While all the bigger mountains in the world fought. Midrash says, they fought, hey, look, I'm the tallest, I'm the widest, I'm the this, I'm the that. Hashem says, you all go away. Torah is being given on Mount Sinai. Why? It's the humblest. I give Torah to the lowest places. That's why the Torah is also, in the Gemara it says, Torah is also, as an analogy, they use it as like water. Why? Because water keeps going to the lowest places. If you put water on top of a building, by nature, it's eventually going to go to the bottom of the building. Naturally, it's going to go to the lowest point. That's why the Torah. Torah is gifted to someone who humbles themselves. If you want to be gifted the gifts of Torah, you have to humble yourself. You have to decide who you're able to humble yourself to. Meaning, if you have a teacher and you don't think your teacher knows anything, you don't need to humble yourself. Find a new teacher. If you have a teacher that doesn't know anything, find a new teacher. He's not your teacher if he doesn't know anything. But if you think you know the same thing as him, and you really do know the same thing as him, find a new teacher, he's not your teacher. But if you just have an arrogance problem, and your ego is as big as the room, it's a different issue. It's a different issue. That's a different issue. So why should we humble ourselves for this Torah? What's What's the point? The Gemara, in Masechet Megillah, gives us a few examples of how great the gift of Torah is. It says, The study of Torah is greater than saving lives. Meaning, it's more important to study Torah than to save a physical life. Mamash, Even though if there's a life risk, we go and save the life. We go. If someone is drowning, we stop, we go save their life. We're not saying to go let people die. But. Bottom line is, according to Hashem, studying Torah is more important. Meaning that if Hashem gave you a tikkun, gave you a test where someone is dying in front of you, you have to stop learning your Torah, that means there's something wrong with you. You're getting a test. It's a test. It's a a somewhat of a punishment. There's something wrong with your learning. The point being is that, because in reality what He wants you to do, why He brought you to the world, is to learn Torah, not to save lives. Can someone close the door if he doesn't mind? Is it raining? What's happening? So, If you don't mind, if you come in. Come in, but just... How do we know this? Where do we learn this rule? We learn it from Mordechai. In Purim, Mordechai and Esther were the heroes. Mordechai was a giant Talmud Chacham, one of the heads of the Sanhedrin. He was number four in the Sanhedrin. Number four on the list. There were only three greater than him. At the beginning of Megillat Esther, he's listed as the number four most important person in Am Yisrael. At the end of the Megillah, it says that Mordechai became one of the servants for the king. Became one of the servants of the king. Saved Am Yisrael. Saved him from uh, a lot of uh, Problems. But they say because he went into politics, even though it's good, he's saving Am Yisrael. He says no, he's saving their lives. He says no, no, no. Now he's number five. He went lower. He went lost the level in his in his in his significance in Am Yisrael. Why? He's learning less Torah now. He's involved more in politics. He's involved more in saving lives. Yeah, it's important, but it's not as important as saving as saving Torah. It's not as important as Torah. Rav says, one of the things that Rav Shmuel Barbassa says, Gadol Talmud Torah, Yoter mi binyan bet The study of Torah is more significant; is greater than building the bet Betamigdash, Who doesn't want to build a third bet Mikdash right now? Everyone says, Oh, when's the bet going to be When? 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 Some people are even starting to raise money to actually build a bet They don't want to wait for Hashem. Like, maybe we have to help Hashem. Maybe we have to help Hashem. There's a, real, there's a real organization. They started raising money. They started getting stuff together. They're making all of the things for the Qanim. They're making this. They're making that. They started build. They want to build. They want to build the Betta Mikdash. They don't want to wait for Hashem. Apparently, they didn't read this Gemara. Gemara says, learn Torah. It's more important than your the Mikdash. Learn Torah. Go. Instead of raising, spending all your time raising money, for building something you're not supposed to build anyway. Use that money for supporting Torah. Use that money for supporting people to do tshuva. Much more significant than you building a Betta Mikdash. Where do we learn this from? From Ezra. Ezra did not leave his teacher to go join the whole Betta Mikdash as long as he was alive. He was sick. He wanted to wait. As long as he was alive, he never left his teacher. Why? Ezra was a giant. That's my source of truth. That's my Torah. My Rav. That's my Torah. It's not just a Sefer Torah. I take a Sefer Torah. I go to ArchSchool. I Buy Sefer Torah. I buy this. I buy. I go to buy Sefer Torah. That's my. T- no, 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 no. It's not just buying a book. That's your Torah. Not just buying a book. That's your Torah. It's not. It's not. Oh, I, I read commentary. The Rabbi reads commentary. I read commentary. What is it? Rashi, Rambam, Tosfot? What is it? Uh, Onkelos? Okay, I read too. Same thing. He reads. I read. What's the difference? Ezra says, no, my rabbi, that's my Torah. Why? Because I could learn a commentary and he learns the commentary. I could learn the Gemara and he learns the Gemara. My perspective is wrong, his is right. Why? His experience. His experience. It's not that he's old or he's young or he's 70 or he's 90 or he's 20. He has Torah and life experience. He has Da'at Yeshara, his mind is straight. Straight. It's only about Torah all the time. Not sometimes he's uh, playing with bitcoins, sometimes he's playing with shoes, sometimes he's playing with this, sometimes he's playing with that. Once in a while he gives a shiur Torah. Once in a while, when he has time, he gives a shiur Torah. If his mind is in Torah, that's a teacher. But if his mind is in a bunch of other places, have to find a rabbi. Give a siro, a you get a second job. Brother Yashi, you get a second job. Any of these giants get a second job, go do something else on the side. Entire lives with Torah. Why? The Keter of Torah requires sacrifices. You cannot have your mind somewhere else. You cannot have your mind. The Mishnah and Avot, the sixth chapter we're going to read. There's 48 different sacrifices you must make in order to get the Keter of Torah. 48 different. Each one of them is more difficult than the next. Each one of them is more difficult than the next. There's no time for a second thing. There's no time for, for a hobby. There's not even enough time to do the things you're supposed to do. That you think you're supposed to do. Even now you don't have enough time. Why? Torah. Last thing is, as examples, Rabbi says in the name of Rabbi Yitzhak Bar Shmuel, Bar Marsa, Gadol Talmud Torah, Yoter Avayim. Learning Torah is greater than honoring one's father and mother. This can throw people off a little bit. What do you mean, honoring your parents? It's on the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth uh, fifth commandment. How could it be that learning Torah is more important than honoring your parents? What's the example? This parasha. This week's parasha. It says, All the years that Yaakov Avinu spent in the yeshiva of Evil, he didn't get punished. Everything went good. He was able to learn for 14 years straight without sleeping a normal sleep. He was on his chair for 14 years. Try to be on your chair for 14 hours. 14 hours. Try it. Try 14 hours to be on a chair. Sometimes we can't sit on a chair for 14 minutes. He was on a chair 14 years. 14 years he was on a chair, learning Torah nonstop. Maybe he was just standing for 14 years. Either way, he never slept on a bed for 14 years. He didn't sleep. It says for 14 years he was never punished. Even though during that time he failed to fulfill the mitzvah of honoring his parents, one of the key mitzvot in the Torah, both for the Jews and the Noahides. He failed to honor his parents, but he never got punished. When did he get punished? After he stopped learning. Once he stopped learning in the yeshiva, that's when he started getting tikkunim. That's when trouble was ahead, whether it was Lavan cheating him, or it was this week's palashah, what happens with his with his daughter, different things, different trials and tribulations started happening. When? When he came out of the yeshiva. All the time he was in the yeshiva learning taught, everything was great. Healthy was great. Health was great. Money was great. Everything was great. Nothing bad happened. No punishment. Why? You're learning Torah. You're learning Torah. That's what Hashem brought you to the world to So, this Keter of Torah is a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why David Melech says, Ma Torah tera kol Hashem, I love your Torah so much. The whole day it's my, it's my conversation. It's not that I learned Torah. It's that I, I go learn Torah. I go to Korah. I learn Torah. I go to Shul Torah. I learn for a couple of hours. No. David Amelech, king of Amisrael, he says, Hashem, I love your Torah so much. That's all I talk about. I see a little kid, five year old kid. You have a Chidush? Chidush? Okay, that's us You don't have a Chidush? Okay. See you. Oh, king, you want to come here? You have a Chidush? Oh, you don't have a Chidush? I have no time to meet you. I have to learn Torah. He says, all the late Sanim, all the other kings. Well, that clown's talking about women, talking about this, talking about money, talking about wars, talking about this. Me, I learned Torah. That's all I'm interested in. That's the only conversation I have. You have a chidush, I want to listen. doesn't matter where it came from. doesn't matter where the chidush Even if I know the chidush, even if I know it, even if I heard it, maybe, maybe they have a different perspective. Maybe this 5-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, 75-year-old man, whatever it is, Maybe they saw something, feel something, know something, I don't know. So even if I heard it before, I'm going to hear it again. Mikol me'l iskalti. As we learned a few weeks ago in a Mishnah, it was one of the sources. He says, I learned from everyone. I learned from everyone. A five-year-old, a 75-year-old, anyone that has a chidush, I love the Torah so much. I'm just looking for places to go talk about it. Worst thing in the world is you want to uh, uh, talk to one. There's no one to talk to. Sometimes you have, unfortunately, people, you know, gatherings. And everyone wants to talk about something else. They want to talk about the stock market. They want to talk about business. They want to talk about all types of this world stuff. Things of this world. All the stiot of this world. Politics. And the reality is, is that when you want to actually learn Torah, when you actually want to talk Torah, and you're surrounded by this, you feel like you're an alien. Why? Because everyone wants to talk something that's the opposite of what you want to talk about. You view everything else as complete nonsense. Who cares that you? T- they see you talking about stock market. Who cares about the stock market? Talk about the president. Who cares about the president? Why are you going to be president? Well, you work for him, you work in a White House, you think anyone cares about your opinion? Everyone thinks that their opinion is very valuable. Everyone, oh, Trump should do this, and this one should do this, and they should have elected that one, and they should cut the interest rates, they should increase the rates. Who cares what your opinion is? I mean, people spend their entire lives talking about stuff that doesn't matter. Mamas, doesn't matter. Even in their own lives, it doesn't matter. Oh, the economy is this, and what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen this year? What's going to happen tomorrow? Do you even know you're going to be alive tomorrow? Anyone here can tell me for sure I'm going to be alive tomorrow. Anyone can guarantee it? Guarantee, for sure, 100%, you know you're going to be alive tomorrow. Now you talking about next year, next uh, 10 years, 20, uh, tomorrow. Anyone know for sure? 1,000%, they got a nevoie, they got a prophecy from Hashem, you're going to be alive tomorrow. So what are you talking about next year for? Oh, I'm planning to buy a house in Israel. I'm planning to do this next year. I'm planning to do this. Ten years from now, I have a 20-year plan. I have a 401 What are you doing? You have mitzvah to do today. You have Torah to learn for today. Today, not tomorrow. tomorrow. Today is when the Torah was given to you, not tomorrow. And that's what people need to understand. That's what you have to understand. But the problem is, is if you have the wrong teacher, none of this is going to be told to you. If you have the wrong teacher, all he's going to tell you is fine. Tadik. it. everything is great. We love you. you. Should come even more. You know what? You don't have to keep Shabbat. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You're doing enough chesed. You're doing enough chesed for Am Yisrael. Why you donate? Great. Drive, drive the scooter to sh- on Shabbat. Drive the scooter on Shabbat. Put a sticker on it. Says kosher. Everything's okay, don't worry. I'll talk to Hashem for you. People just make up their own rules. But the problem is is that you can't use those rules. And you can't use the excuse that you use those rules. Because being spiritually lazy is not acceptable in Shemaim. Now, when it says that you should study from the elders because their Torah is like ripe grapes and old wine, it's not Chash V'Shalom insulting the wisdom of children. It's not Chash V'Shalom insulting the wisdom of the young. What it is saying is that the wisdom of the young is still unsettled. Still not ready. So sometimes you could hear a devout Torah from a young kid, and it sounds great sounds great, sounds wonderful, but because he's 5, because he's 10, because he's 15, it sounds great. But if an older person told you that same chidush, he'd say, yeah, you, you need to go back to the books. It's not so good. It's not so good. Why is it not so good? Because you know, that doesn't make sense. What he's saying doesn't make sense. So for example, the Midrash says that a couple of weeks ago, we learned Avraham Avinu. Asked Hashem, how would I know that my descendants will get reward? How would I know? How would I know that my descendants are going to get the reward? I mean, this is sounds like Avraham Avinu has emunah problems. So, a person can tell you, listen, Avraham wanted proof that Hashem loves you. Hashem loves him. Hashem, uh, you know, Avram uh, wanted uh, Hashem to give him an example of what he's going to get. He wanted to show him the future. All of that sounds wonderful. But it still sounds like Avram has doubts about Hashem. Now if Avram is Avram, Avram Avinu, there's no way that he has Emunah problems. There's no way. It's impossible. We have Emunah problems. Avram doesn't have any problems. There's no way, if a five year old told you this, ten year old told you this, he says Avram wanted to see the future. Avram wanted Hashem to show him something. Avram wanted Hashem to. Whatever, whatever, whatever nice things he wants to say, all of it sounds great. But not the truth. The Emmet is very different. The Emmet is completely different. What's the Emmet? The emet in the Gemara Megillah as well. This Gemara is enormous amount of information. Small Gemara, you're really going to enjoy it. The Emet is extraordinarily different. The Emet is that Avram knew that Am Israel. his descendants, are going to sin. He says, Hashem, I know you're promising me everything because I did what you asked me to do. I even was willing to sacrifice my son and so on and so forth. Seven. So so for me, I know, okay, I got the Torah. But how do I know that my, my children are going to get the Torah? What does it mean? How your, children? your children are going to get the Torah? No, no, no. If they do what I did, fine. But what if they don't? What if they sin? What if they go against you? Are you going to take it back? He promised them all these good things. It says, He says, perhaps, heaven forbid, Israel, his descendants, will sin before you, and you will do to them as you did to the generation of the flood, or the generation of the, dis- of the dispersion. Destroy all of them, because they sinned. I mean, technically, you have a law in the Torah. I know you promised me all these good things, but what if my descendants don't do what I did? They don't make the sacrifices I did. They don't keep the mitzvot like I did. Are you going to take it back? This is not, this has, now we already see, this is no longer Emunah problems. This is a reality. Avram knows not all of his sons are going to be tzadikim. Every father knows, okay, you have ten kids, you know, some of them are going to be good, some of them are going to be a little effy, some of them are going to be Shem You have to work on those extra. Those, those ones, they're going to be Shem you have to work extra. Avram says, are those few that do really bad going to ruin it for all? Or if all of them are bad, is it, is it the deal? What happens? What happens after everything goes wrong? What happens when everyone is not Avraham Avinu? So now it has nothing to do with emuna. Hashem says, no, I'm not going to destroy them. Avraham said before Hashem, Master of the Universe, so how would I know that you're not going to do it? What does it mean? How do I know? Well, you don't trust Hashem. What he actually means here, that how will they atone for the sins? Meaning, there's no way you're not going to you're not going to punish them if they sin. There's no way they're not going to sin. So once they sin, how can they do chuba? That's what Abraham Avinu is trying to ask. When he says, "How do I know?" What is it, how do I know"? Not "how do I know that you're going to give it to them." Meaning, "How do I know what to tell them and how they're going to do chuba to fix the mess?" What do they need to do? What do they need to do to fix the mess? Hashem says, bring me three calves, meaning do the korbanot. Do korbanot. Avram says in the Gemara, good, this is good when they have the mikdash. When they have the mikdash, bring korbanot. After you destroy the beta mikdash, because you showed them prophecy. If they don't have the mikdash, they can't bring korbanot. Then what? Avram's a forward thinker. He's like, I know they're going to mess up. It's my sons. I know my sons. What do we do after they? After you don't have it the mikdash. What do we do then? I have already established for them a scriptural section of offerings. Whenever they read from them, I will consider it as if they were bringing an offering before me, and I will forgive them for all of their sins. In essence, Hashem gave us a Torah to learn, to learn about korbanot, and to learn about His Torah in general. That is. Our tshuva. That is our savior. That is what's going to save us. That's what Avram Avinu was talking about. So when a five or a ten year old says Avram wanted to see the future, Avram wanted this, Avram wanted that, it's all nice because he's five or ten years old and he's 15 years old. But in reality, an experienced learner that actually already learned his gemara, learned much more than his gemara, whatever it is, going to tell you it has nothing to do with the future has to do with reality, has to do with today. Am Israel right now is in trouble. Why? Most of them don't keep Shabbat. Most of them don't keep the basic level of mitzvot. Unless we start becoming more concerned about them and get them to learn this Torah, we're good for nothing. We're not fulfilling our, our purpose. If we're only worried about diamonds and stocks and buildings and houses, and friends, and parties, and even our own Torah, but we care less about our brothers and sisters, we're part of a sub, And that's unfortunately one of the things that I see day after day is that a lot of people just care less. They care less, or even when they try to care, they don't care enough to find out how to do something properly. So, one of the examples that I see all the time is when people do tshuva and now they have to help their spouse do tshuva. Or they do tshuva and similar to myself, they have to not only help their spouse do tshuva, but they have to help their spouse convert. Realize that the truth is not anywhere else other than Judaism, other than the Torah. Now, a lot of times when you go to different rabbis, if they don't have experience, and you tell them, listen, my wife is not Jewish, my husband is not Jewish, the immediate response is, okay, leave them. Leave them. You're Jewish, they're not Jewish, leave them. What's the question? You're not allowed to be with them. Simple. Simple. One, two, three. This is a rabbi that knows nothing. This is like a bachale atala. This is like a blessing for no reason. To sin. To listen to such advice. Why? It's not realistic advice. It's not empathetic advice. It's not advice that's putting themselves in your shoes. When someone says, Oh, they're not good, therefore leave. They're only looking at their own perspective. They're looking at it from a rookie's perspective. They're looking for someone who just cares less. They have black and white. This is the rule. Jew is not allowed to be with a non-Jew. Or religious Jews shouldn't be with a non-religious Jew. Therefore, leave. That's not advice. That's not Torah. That's bachale That's waste. The reality of it is that when you tell somebody just leave, instead of leaving that spouse, they're going to leave you as the rabbi. Because what they advice is coming from, is a place of inconsideration. Where they're not realizing that this spouse, that's not Jewish, this spouse that hasn't done chuva yet, was there for you when they weren't. Was cleaning your blood when no one else wanted to look at you was helping you when you were broke and you were sleeping on a, like a guy told me the other day, I met him the other day, his wife, non-Jewish wife, wonderful woman. She's not Jewish, but wonderful woman. Why? She's the one that helped him come out of becoming homeless. He was homeless, sleeping on a toilet paper as his pillow and she got him out of it. You were you going to tell him to leave her now. You have to be more vicious than a lion. Can't tell a guy like that to leave her. Point is, is that you need experience. You can't just tell people to leave. Because you tell people to just leave, they're going to leave you. And not only will you lose the opportunity to get another person to convert, but you also lose an opportunity to get a person to do tshuvay at all. Because that person is not going to listen to you. Now some people think, oh no, it's because you're nagua. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're in it. You're in it. You know, you went through the same thing. Maybe it's not going to work for someone else. You know, maybe not everyone's going to convert. I'm not saying everyone's going to convert. Absolutely not. Not everyone's going to convert. Not everyone's going to do tshuva. There's plenty of Jewish couples. Jewish couples. Both are Jewish. One does tshuva, the other one doesn't, and they get divorced. Plenty of them. Plenty of them. This has nothing to do with conversion. It has nothing to do with just tshuva. This is in general experience. You have to know how to treat people, you have to know to get to their level. But this is not my personal experience. Torah experience. Now. There's a prophet named Hosea. Hosea in the Torah, the sages in uh, Gemara Bava Metzia say that he was a greater prophet than even Isaiah. But the reason he didn't he didn't have as much of significance and prophecies as everyone else is because his prophecies weren't as elaborate and weren't as um, relevant for eternity as the rest of the prophets. But his level of prophecy was higher than everyone else that came after Moshe Rabbeinu and so on. Now Moshe said to Hashem Ibarach, he said, Hashem, if they're sinning against you, if this nation is sinning against you, leave them. Find a new nation. What's the problem? It's your God. If they're not good, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing, Hashem. Hashemit Bach himself in the book of Hoshea calls Am Yisrael like a zonah, you know, a zonah is prostitute. It's like, look what they're doing to me. They're like a prostitute. They go worship other idols. They go do this. They go. Do... Hashem, is, Hashem is calling Am Yisrael a very, very derogatory name. So Hoshea says, Hashem, if they're like this, if they're such, they're such terrible people, just start a new nation. What do you need this headache for? So Hashem says to Hoshea, You need to get married. Okay, I'll make the Shiduch for you. Okay, what's the Shiduch? Go marry this woman. She's the biggest prostitute in the land. Isn't this a a sin to go marry a prostitute? Go marry her. Go marry the biggest prostitute in the world. Go marry her. What are you going to say? No. What does it do? He goes and marries her. They have kids. Every kid, who names them? Hashem. Hashem names the kid. Hashem names every single kid. And each one of the names is very strange. Hopeless, ungrateful, strange names. Why? is like uh, symbolic of Am Yisrael. Eventually, after they have kids, she got married, have kids. Okay, you know, her passes is our past. Prostitute? No prostitute. She's his wife now. Hashem says, okay. Your wife that's a prostitute, she's been with this, she did this, she did this, she did. It's time to leave her. Leave her. She's a prostitute. Osher says, I can't. She's my wife. But she's a prostitute. She's my wife. But she did this. She's my wife. She did it in the past. I can't leave. I love her. She gave me kids he says to him how can you tell me to leave my nation ok sometimes they go worship idols ok they worship money ok they put on their head ok they do a lot of things that are wrong but they are still my wife I'm not leaving Hashem says I'm not leaving I'm not leaving my people I'll punish them I'll wake them up I'll slap them I'll, I'm not leaving there's no other nation. There's no other choice. There's no other choice. So when a Rav, or whatever you want to call it, the friends of a person, want to help them, tell them, listen, leave. That's not advice. You're not giving a person advice. Leave, leave. What do you mean leave? Were you there when I was in a toilet, throwing up my lungs out? And you, were, you were there. You were there. You didn't even call me. Were you there when I was homeless? You didn't even look at me. Were you there when I was miserable? You didn't want to talk to me. She was there. He was there for me. You weren't. You can't just tell me to leave now because, okay, I discovered God. Great. So, So I'm going to leave everyone I care about behind. Let me try at least. It's not enough. It's also another place. When a person doesn't understand the significance of converts, They obviously don't understand the history of Am Yisrael. At the end of this week's parasha, we hear about the lineage of Esav. The lineage of Esav. lineage of Esav is very strange because you see that some of the people committed horrible, horrible sins of incest. Horrible sins. This one was the mother, and the father, and the son. I mean, and Achim. So you ask yourself, why does Hashem include these horrible people in the Torah? Why does He include all of this stuff? Okay, they sin. You didn't include all the sins, all the details of the sins of Doha Mabul. Why are you including all the stuff about Esav and his descendants? Some committed incest, some didn't, some this. It's horrible. If you read the name, you see... Oh, he's a uh, son of this one, but he's also the husband of the same woman. He's a husband to his own mother. Shem You read the names. All of it, all of it, that whole entire section, Chazal explains, Midrash Mi'am Lois and several other places, is for you to know the significance of Amalek. Amalek comes from Esav. It says, Esav u Esav is Edom. But Esav had a son called Eliphaz. Eliphaz married a woman, married some women, but he had a concubine by the name of Timna. Timna is mentioned twice in this parasha. One as the concubine of Eliphaz and one as the sister of Lotan. Lotan was one of the chiefs of the Harite clans. She was royalty. But she, instead of going to marry a king, instead of to run the country, she went and she became a concubine. Meaning, she's not a real wife. It's like a side deal. Concubine of one of the sons of uh Esav. Why? Go marry a prince. Go marry a king. Go do something. It doesn't make any sense. So the sages explain here something extraordinary. It says that Timna came to Avram, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov. And she says, I want to convert. I want to be like you. Apparently there was a few character traits, flaws in her. She wasn't really willing, she wasn't a legitimate convert. She wanted to convert, not necessarily for the sake of Hashem, she wanted to convert because she liked the family. It's considered royalty. And apparently the sages saw it and did not give her enough chances and did not help her convert. She says, Since I can't be a direct, a direct daughter a direct wife to any one of the avot, of Ram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, or, their, or, or their, the righteous ones. It's better for me to be a slave of Esav, a descendant of Avram, than a princess in my own family. And because they did not accept her, she ended up marrying the son of Esav. But as a punishment for not giving her enough chances, as a punishment for not getting her to get to the right place, we got Amalek. We're suffering from Amalek for over 4,000 years because she wasn't accepted as a convert. Because Avot HaKadoshim, if it wasn't written in the Midrash, I wouldn't be allowed to say it. Avot did not convert her. For whatever reason they had the point is, is that to just tell people to leave. Oh, she's not religious enough for you. Oh, he's not religious enough for you. Oh, he's a this and this. He's a different that. That's not advice. It's not advice. What's advice? Advice is if you really care about another person, you really care about them. You really love them. Save them. Save them. You really care. Oh, you love him. You love her. You love okay? Save them. Save them. How do you save them? Bring him to shul Torah. You can't bring him to shul Torah. Bring the Torah to them. Hey, let's watch a lecture together. Let's stop our world. I'm not going to work today. You're not going to work today. We're going to sit down. And we're going to figure out. It's either Christianity is real or Judaism is real. Either atheism is real or the Torah is real. It can't be both. There's only one God. It cannot be two religions, three religions, four religions that are true. It's not possible. It's not possible for the Torah to be right and anything else to be right. It's either something else is right or the Torah is right. That's it. There's no two choices. You really love them? Stop your world and say, okay, honey, I love you. We have to find the truth. What do you believe in? Yoshke? Fine. Let's find out if Yoshke is real. What do you believe in? uh, Muhammad? Fine. Let's find out if Muhammad's real. Let's do it. Let's find out. Let's learn until blood comes out of our eyes to see if it's real. You believe that we keep a monkey? Fine. Let's go find the monkey. Let's ask him Are you my daddy? Find out! Do something! You can't just all, just like spiritually lazy. Eventually she's going to realize. Eventually he's going to realize. Eventually they're going to wake up. No, 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 no. You have to help them. You have to save them. Because if they die tomorrow, you're both doomed. It's not just them. You're both doomed. People have no idea what it means to be intermarried. I mentioned a few things that shocked some people yesterday, or two days ago when we did a lecture on Sunday. I'll mention another thing that you should know. Barama Sechet Zanedrin, page 82a. We're going to learn about the Hashmonaim during uh, Hanukkah. And the Hashmonaim, the beddin of the Hashmonaim, made a law. They decreed anyone who's intimate... Intimate, we're not even talking about married with three kids, four kids, have a whole life together, dating. We're not talking about them. intimate, once. You've been once. Anyone that's a Jew, intimate with a Gentile, is like violating nida, shifcha, intermarriage, married woman. And they call it, in essence, you've pretty much made the worst possible sin. You've been with the nida, which is isur karet. You've been with a servant, meaning you took advantage of a person that was not able to protect themselves. You were with a non-Jew. And on top of it, you were considered as if you went with a prostitute. What does it mean to be with a prostitute? Shlomo Melech says, you want to lose all your money, go with a prostitute. Enjoy. That's the punishment. You lose all your money. That's the punishment. Now, if that's not bad enough, Gemara Masechet Eruvin, page nineteen a. It says that right after, it talks about how Avraham Avinu saves all of those that are worthy from Geinom. They made certain sins. Am Yisrael makes sins. They did this. They did this. He saved them from There There's certain things that we need the schutavot the merits of our forefathers, to save us. We haven't had enough time to do tshuva. Avraham Avinu says, promise to Hashem what's the deal? The deal is they're going to learn Torah, they're going to do this, they're going to have some merits. Okay, I'm going to use some my own merits to get them out of Gainom when they can't save themselves. And he's going to save certain people that have enough merits to, out of Gainom. Who can't he save? Only one person. Person that violated their breed. Person that's still did not do tshuva for being with a non-Jew, he cannot save him from getting home. Why? Because he doesn't see him as a Jew. Doesn't see him as a Jew. Why? A Jew has a brit mila. Once you've ruined your brit, you didn't do tshuva, that means you have no brit mila. Physically you may, but spiritually it's as if it doesn't exist. So now, we have a choice. want to continue, do nothing, be passive, Who's guaranteeing you have tomorrow? Who's guaranteeing you have next year? Who's guaranteeing you're going to get to be old enough and big enough and strong enough? Who says that? You want to be with them? Fine, be with them. Save them first. So first thing you have to do is you have to make some serious sacrifice. You have to stop your life. And you start taking things seriously if that means you have to work less. Do whatever less doesn't make a difference. You have to, You want to be with them? Fine. Save them. You cannot keep it the same. It cannot stay the same. You can't just stay passive and nothing happens. Save them. Show them the truth. There's Torah and science to prove that the Torah is real. There is plenty of lectures I can send you about... uh, that prove that Christianity is falsehood. There's plenty of lectures that I can send you... that shows that atheism is complete nonsense. There's lectures about how uh, the Islam is complete nonsense... It's not difficult to prove that everything is nonsense, and the Torah is the only thing that's real. It's not difficult to prove. But, o Hashem, today there's plenty of material to prove that the Torah is the only divine book in the world. That means, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's only because you're spiritually lazy. That's it. It's the only reason. Only reason, is because you're spiritually lazy in and the, and, and the promise that Hashem gave us. If you look for me, you will find me. In the book of Deuteronomy, it did not come true. Why did it come true? You didn't look for him hard enough. It says, if you look for me with all your heart and all your soul. You haven't looked with all your heart and all your soul. You look like you were looking for keys. You didn't find him, you took a second pair of keys. You look for me like you looked for the cat. You didn't find the cat, you bought another cat. That's not how you look for God. You want to look for God, you want to look for the truth, you look for it with everything. You put everything on the line. Honey, I love you, I'm not leaving. Fine, you're not leaving. Okay, now what? I can't be like this. Okay, so what? What do we do? Find out what the truth is. Let's sit down. Let's stop. Let's find out what the truth is. If it's real, we go all the way. If it's not, enough. Why is this the only way? It's the only way because if you know that the Torah is real and you show it to them that it's real, if they still choose to stay sinning, It's much easier for you to leave why because you know they're crazy who wants to be with a crazy person You are gonna have to be in mental institutions the rest of your life Taking them from one mental institution to another mental institution to another mental institution. You show them the truth They don't want to listen to the truth. Who wants to be with such a person? Obviously, you're not gonna have a good life together if they want to continue going against the truth. They're crazy They're not normal. Why would you want to be with such a person? It's much. I don't have to tell you to leave I don't have to tell you to break up. You're going to break up on your own. Why? You're in two complete, forget different pages. You're in two different books. You're in two different chapters. You're in two different worlds. Why? You both know the truth. She just doesn't want to do it. He just doesn't want to do it. Okay, so you know if you don't know the truth, you go to get, no, I'm suffering. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, so good luck for you over there. Hot place. Enjoy the summer forever. I'm going somewhat colder, nicer. There, it's easier for you to leave. Why? You know the truth. They know the truth. They don't want to do it. Easier for you to leave. You don't have to tell a person to leave. That attitude is a better attitude. Why? Because by you trying to strengthen another person and get them to the truth, you're also going to strengthen yourself. So if you do tshuva and your spouse hasn't, And you have kids together or you don't have kids together, if they're Jewish or not Jewish, just leaving is not the right choice. You have to try. If after you tried, they still don't want to do it because they just want to live a sinful life, then you have to leave. Why? You can't stay with a crazy person. But don't tell me you tried for uh, three weeks, they didn't like it, they didn't want to watch, and you gave up. That means you don't love them and you pretty much just love yourself. And you wanted to leave, this was just an excuse for, the, for you to leave. Or you was just an excuse for you to stop trying. But the one main thing that you have to arrive to tonight is that something has to happen. You cannot stay the same. Either we're going for it or we're going away cannot stay the same. It cannot stay the same. We cannot continue living a lie for the rest of our lives thinking that it's okay because in Shemaim, it's not okay. It's just simply not okay. Playing like you're a fool is not going to save you. Playing like you didn't know is not going to save you because you know when most people think about Rashi, I know myself, before I read his bio, you think of like an old fluffy man, really nice, always saying nice things, chidushim, stories. But actually, if you read the Chachmet zarfat, the, the, the the wise or the sages of, uh, of France, Talks about serv- several stories about Rashi, and some of these stories are as spicy as can be. Meaning that to be Rashi, you can't just be fluffy. To be Rashi, you can't just be someone just puts commentary because this is the right answer. If to stand for the truth, despite how much it hurts. So there's one time, there's a couple of stories. A fantastic book. But there's also obviously plenty of other sources. But this is a fantastic book; you can read his bio. It says that one time there was a uh, well-to-do young man found a uh, girl that uh, you know went to a shidduch, and uh, they were supposed to get married. And one day he comes to visit her father in her house before they get married. And her father was a rabbi and, you know, respectable person. And the groom wanted to uh, talk to him about certain things. But right when he was about to talk to him, he saw that the daughter, his wife-to-be, which they haven't talked much until to this point. This is the old-fashioned way of shiduchim. Not like today with his resumes. Just to see if you want to date someone, you have to give them a resume. Seriously, you have to give resumes today. It's sad, but it's true. So in those days, it was very different. And uh, the wife-to-be walked in. Her name was Rachel. And uh, she saw that uh, she was embarrassed. And she said, no, no, Abba, I'll uh, I'll come back later. And he said, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I I know you're working on it really hard. He should hear it, he should hear it. So she starts reading off a poem that she wrote. And this well to do guy says, What is this? What did you just say? She goes, No, oh, I just wrote a poem about loving Hashem. And he says, Well, why don't you just say I love Hashem? Beginning, middle, end. That's it. He goes, No, no, then it's not going to be a poem. Because what who cares? Just say I love Hashem. He goes, No, but then I want you to feel what I feel, and he still wasn't getting it. He's like, I, I don't understand this poetry stuff. She got embarrassed and she walked away. Immediately, he turns around, and he looks at the rabbi. And he says, "I'm sorry, I can't marry your daughter." Was, what? What do you mean? We've made an agreement. There's already a dowry. Decided from your from your father and so on and so forth. This is all the arrangement was made. The wedding was made. The invitations were made. Here it's a big embarrassment to her. You're going to embarrass her. You're going to shame her to everyone. Why? What happened? Because I can't marry such a flighty person. Can't marry his poetry stuff. This is craziness. And he walks out. He goes to the rabbi, which was actually a Talmud, a student of Rashi. And he tells him, listen, I uh, want you to, you know, break off the marriage, and so on and so forth. And he tells him the story, and his name was Rabbi Mordechai. Rabbi Mordechai says, yeah, I understand, you come from a very well-to-do family, and she's too flighty for you, it's not good, and you can't commit to what you said, because you didn't know that she's like this, so you want to break up the marriage, fine, so we'll just break it up, and the dowry that uh, was promised to her, you're going to get it back, and that's it. So now this created a big problem half the town went against the rabbi saying what's going on you're shaming a woman shaming Bat Israel you're shaming Bat Israel and the other half were like oh maybe this maybe that there was a lot of confusion so what they do they sent the letter they sent the case to Rashi they sent the case to Rashi Rashi sends a letter I mean, you read this letter, it's mamash, gives you a completely different perspective of Rashi for the rest of your life. He says the following, regarding the engagement, our sages have taught us to never shame a Jewish woman. So unless the groom agrees to take the woman as his wife, you must punish him both financially and with lashes. Hit him with a whip and punish him financially. As for my student, who supported the groom, in his argument, he writes the following message. This is to his own student, publicly. You do not give honor to the Torah, for you are strengthening the hand of the one who has done badly. From heaven, your honor will be beheld. You have been withheld from understanding the obvious points of Torah, how much more will you not understand in its depth? And he gives a quote in Mishlei: To the rebukers will be sweetness, and upon them a blessing of goodness. So this Rashi that gives the commentary on the side is a lot spicier than we saw, because he saw that when Bat Yisrael was insulted, we're not even talking about, let. we're talking about, they're not married yet. He insulted Bat Yisrael, you have no honor. Punish him. Whip him. Take the money. Your chilul Hashem. Why? That's the truth. That's the truth. That's it. That's the truth. The truth is black and white. Another case, also in the same book, in a Tshuva uh, Chachmet Tzafat chapter twenty-one, it says that there's one guy came into uh, you know was in town for a while and. But uh, he would come to Bikneset. He was a very quiet guy. And uh, when he would go to Bikneset, he never got aliyah. Now, in those days, during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, everyone got an aliyah. To the Torah, go up to the Torah, any one of the men would get an aliyah. But for whatever reason or another, the Gabbai didn't like him. The Gabbai didn't like the guy. So one day, this innocent Tzadik says, listen, I want an Aliyah. The Gabbai ignored him. For years he's coming. For years he's coming to this shul. Never got an Aliyah. Everyone else got an Aliyah. He's waiting patiently, patiently, patiently. Never happening. One day he finally asked. And the Gabbai, instead of looking at him and answering him, no, yes, something, he turns around and gives him his back. The guy gets a little frustrated. He said, no, no, I want an Aliyah. I want an Aliyah. The Gabbai turns around furious and tells him, you're never going to get an Aliyah. You're never going to get an Aliyah. So he says to him, why? Thank you, Tiskele Mitzvot. Help him open the door more. Open the door more. Open the other door, please. The other door, yeah. The other door, the outside. Going to the outside also? They're going outside? Okay. It's his wife, not his baby. So, he says, you're never going to get an aliyah. He says, why? He says, because you're a the son of a shagitz. Meaning you're you're a non Jew. And you're a son of a non Jew. This caused an uproar. Yes, it. The Rabbi. Hey, hey, you can't say such things. He's a Jew. I know his father. He's a Jew. What are you talking about? Explain yourself. Because now his grandparents both went off the derech They became goyim, they became uh, uh, heretics, and so on and so forth. So one of the older people in the Kila is like, yes, that's true, that's true. They became heretics, but then they did tshuva. They eventually did tshuva. So it's not his fault. No, it doesn't matter. They did it. They were off the derech. They this. The rabbi says, you cannot, you're not allowed to do such things. Unless you apologize, we're going to put you on chirin. The goodbye. Not to talk about a Ben in such a, in such a way. You're not allowed to go against someone. Not even allowed to remind someone that they did tshuva. Someone did tshuva. Someone converted. You're never allowed to remind them. Hey, remember when you used to act like a goy? Hey, remember when you used to be a goy? You're not allowed to do such a thing. You're not allowed to say such things. Not to remind. Not allowed to remind someone of their sins. Not allowed. So it's a averaf he says, unless you apologize publicly right now, we're going to put you on him. We're going to throw you. Goodbye. We're going to throw you out of the Keilah. So the goodbye left and uh, spoke with his uh, family. He says, I know we uh, there's a way out of this. There's something in the Gemara. We're going to write a letter. We don't have to accept anything that the rabbis say. So he wrote a very complicated letter. Usually when, you know, uh, scammers want to fool you, they use big words. They use big words, they try to use complicated language, so you're so focused on trying to figure out what they're saying as far as the definition of the words instead of the meaning of the total message and whether it's right or wrong. That's usually how scammers work. So so he wrote a very sophisticated letter that used some verses and used some halakhot and says, we're making a nedet, we're making a vow that we're not accepting anything that the rabbis and the bed Deen say. So now this confused everyone. The rabbis obviously says this, this letter is meaningless, but the Keilah didn't know whether to listen to it or not, whether we're allowed to put this guy in cherem or not. So they sent the letter to Rashi. Rashi says, he responds to this, and he says, we've been warned, we've been warned, all the way from Mount Sinai, that no man may oppress his neighbor. And our rabbis have taught us that this oppressing and this insulting words is specifically meant for people that did shuvah people that converted. The gabbai has no right to talk about the private lives of Yosef's parents. That was the guy's name. Because chuvah rises to a godly throne of glory. And our sages tell us that even complete tzaddikim cannot stand where the Balitchuba stand. The vow that the Gabai the Nedir that the Gabai and his family took is worthless. It's complete worthless. Why? Because when they made the vow they spoke a lie, because they vowed to transgress a mitzvah, to go against the Torah by not but by not listening to their community leader. So the Gabbai and his family deserve lashes for taking the vow. They just made a fake vow. They get punishment for that. And plus they're subject to the cherim that the community decreed against them. So we see here, first and foremost, is a little bit of a different perspective of our sages. Second of all, you see, you get an understanding of what a Baal Tshuva is worth in the eyes of Hashem, in the eyes of the Torah, what a convert is worth in the eyes of Hashem, in the eyes of the Torah, You see that it's extremely significant. If you love someone, save them. If you're not going to save them, that means you just love yourself. That means you don't like them, you don't like anybody else but yourself, and it's really only purely because of a desire. It has nothing to do with anything else other than desire. Now, to tell you to leave, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. You're not going to leave. That's a reality. Allah is you're not allowed to be together. That's halakha. Truth is, you're not allowed to be together. He's a non-Jew, you're a non-Jew, whatever it is, you're not allowed to be together. That's the law. Reality is you're not going to leave. You're not. If you can leave, leave. If it's that easy for you to leave, you shouldn't be in it at all, in the first place. If it's so easy for you to break up a relationship, that means you're not supposed to be in a relationship in the first place. But if it's hard for you to leave, because you don't want to leave, Fine. At least fix it. Fix you. Fix them. Tell them the truth. Once they see the truth and they still don't want to listen, decision is easier. Decision is easy. It's never easy. It's easier. Now, I have some students, Baruch Hashem, that made major changes. Their partner saw the truth and changed. Converted, the tshuva, and so on. But I have some that unfortunately the partner never saw it. They saw the truth. They just didn't want to change. And some made the ultimate sacrifice for Hashem and left everything behind. Why? Because that's the truth. And you can't live a truthful life with someone that's not willing to accept it. It's not possible. It's not possible. That's why you don't need to tell people to leave. They do it on their own because someone, someone that knows the truth can't live with someone that doesn't want it. So the biggest lesson today, aside from obviously learning from our sages, that you have to determine who your teacher is, you have to submit, you have to make sure that they, whoever your teacher is, make sure they know more than you. If they don't know more than you, pick a new teacher. If you don't, if you think that you know better than your teacher, pick a new teacher. He's not your teacher. She's not your teacher. Whoever the teacher is, they're not your teacher if they know if you know more than them. Second thing is, even more so, is that don't just give up. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your spouses. Don't just give up. Do something. You can't just cry there and, and feel sorry for yourself and do nothing about it. Do something. Do something. If you're doing something, it's not working, pray more. Do more. Never give up. Never give up. Why? Giving up is costing us a lot. There's plenty of people that know a lot of Torah that have given up. They don't want to help anybody but themselves. But in Shemaim, in Shemaim, they'll be judged as if they're the biggest sinners more than everyone else. Why? You were gifted the knowledge of Torah. This Torah that's more significant than Bet HaMikdash. This Torah that's more significant than life itself. This Torah that's more significant than Kibbut Avaim. This great, amazing Torah you were gifted this Torah. And you're not going to share it. The Gemara in Abu Zarah says, it's like someone who doesn't have a God. You have the Torah, you have the truth, and you're not going to share it. It's like you don't have a God. So, Be'ezat Hashem, today we're going to learn what to do at times of crisis. You found out the truth, you did tshuva, your spouse hasn't, your kids haven't, your parents haven't, whoever hasn't, fine. Don't just abandon everyone. Do something. Do something. Have some patience, but don't stay the same. Don't be on neutral. Don't be on neutral. Oh, maybe one day. One day may never happen. You have to be aggressive. Rashi was aggressive. All the sages were aggressive. This neutral mentality is just today. It's because we're all publicly, we're all, you know, just numb. Mamash, numb. Everybody's just numb and selfish. Don't be numb and selfish. Do something. You have to leave your job, leave your job. You have to take a break, take a break. You have to, uh, whatever you have to do, you have to save somebody. Do something. Make yourself useful in this world. Hashem sent those people to your life because it's your responsibility. If it was somebody else's responsibility, he'd send somebody else to their life. You wouldn't be related to them. You wouldn't be connected to them. can't just give up on people. Oh no, he still drives on Shabbat. I don't want to talk to him again. Why? Why not? Why? He's 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 a Hitler? Okay, he drives on Shabbat. He obviously doesn't realize that every time he drives on Shabbat. Is lighting millions and millions of fires. Okay, fine. I know. I understand. It's terrible. It's awful. I talk about it more than anybody else. I get it. Are you just going to give up on them? That's it. Let them go to them forever. That's it. You're fine with that? You're fine with people just suffering for eternity? It's okay for you? You have no heart. You should check. You should double check if you're a Jew. If you don't care that your brothers and sisters are going to suffer forever, you should double check if you're a Jew. You should double check. Most likely you're not. Most likely you're not. If you don't care that your brothers and sisters are going to suffer for eternity. If you don't help them. If somebody hasn't helped them. Do tshuva. You should double check if you're a Jew. Because most likely you're not. Because one of the main qualities that you have to have as a Jew is rechmanut. You have to feel bad. Mercy. How can you know that someone's about to get hit by a train and do nothing about it? You have all the time in the world. Stop wasting it watching baseball, football, soccer, stock market, playing casinos. Stop. Save some people. Do something. You can't do it, I'll do it. Just bring them. Arrange a lecture at your house. Arrange a lecture at your synagogue. Do something. Something. can't just do nothing can't tell Hashem, hey, I was married to her for 20 years. I know she wasn't Jewish, but she was a nice person. Great, you'll be nice together in Geinom forever. But he could have changed it. Oh, how? Give her a CD. Give him a CD. That's the thing. You can't You can't just be passive, guys. You can't be passive. We have to do something. So, Bezat Hashem, this will give us some answers. it will give us a little bit of a wake-up call, a little bit of a shake-up. I know it's a little hard. I know it's a little tough to hear, but that's the truth. Anyone that wants to learn from my personal example, my personal example is I stopped sleeping. I stopped sleeping, I stopped eating, I stopped drinking, I stopped doing everything. I stopped. Why? I just knew that the love of my life is doomed if I don't change it. And I myself included. I wasn't leaving. Fine. Shem said, fine. You're not leaving? Fine. Do something. Do something. Can't just sit there, do nothing. Do something. Okay, fine. Everything else became secondary. Do something. Jew, non Jew, what it doesn't make a difference. We're at the end of times. We don't have that much time. We don't have years and years and years. Maybe days. Do something.